0: Tribute to Matt Marquez, Bike Live has gone all-American this week. Welcome to Bike Live on Motorsport 101.
1: Let's go!
0: Yes, it's a very, very warm welcome to you to episode 9 of Bike Live here on Motorsport 101 as we look back on the Grand Prix of the Americas. Have a guess who won it. Um, at the Circuit of the Americas last weekend. Marc Marquez keeping up his undefeated streak in the MotoGP class in the United States and his undefeated streak at the Circuit of the Americas last weekend. But there were so many stories to come out of a weekend which on paper seems like it went to the form book. We'll talk about how Maverick Vinales threw away his early championship advantage and handed it into the hands of his teammate. And we'll also talk about Joan Zarco, who continues to make an impression in MotoGP, in particular on its most popular rider. We'll also look back on Moto2 as Franco Morbidelli continues his domination of the class and how Joan Mir's domination of Moto3 came to an end, courtesy of Romano Fanati. We'll also look at the big news from the lower classes as one of the Brits, in fact the only Brit in the intermediate class, walked out of his team. And how one of the rookies in MotoGP is out for the first of the European rounds to injury. We'll also look ahead to this weekend, which is a bumper weekend with Speedway GP, CEV, BSB and World Superbikes all in action. Uh, my name's Lewis Lewis Warm well, Welcome to all of you for joining me. Rebecca James, after her triumphant return last week, isn't with us. Um, if, like us, you're wondering where she is, um, just follow the trail of fire. Um, And you'll probably find her. Um, Looking to put that fire out, it's uh, one welcome back to Andre Harrison. Welcome back, Dre.
2: Like I said on Motorsport 101 this week, I am back to restore order and bring balance to the force. And uh, it's good to be back. I've survived Brands Hatch, a managerial promotion, a week off, and Marquez almost giving me a heart attack in America. Besides that, everything is great. <laughs> <laughs> all is good in the world. And as uh,
0: teed up in the intro, Bike Live has gone all American this week because um, yeah, we brought reinforcements in the absence of Rebecca James. It's a Bike Live debut for Ryan King. Welcome. Yeah.
1: Yes, it's it's been a long time coming, but I I think I'm ready to fill in Bex's shoes. Let's see, uh, I'm now a supporter of West Brom. Um, I like Speedway and James Lashmoli's accent, so I think I'm good to go. What yeah. is wrong with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dre People likes like... James
0: probably too. We're not nice enough to, uh, <laughs> to to completely jinx him at Brands last week. <laughs>
2: James, again, if you're listening, I sincerely apologise. Yeah, we, we know what our
0: opening question is next time we get him on the show. Um, it won't be me asking it. Put it that way. Um, right, um, whilst Dre looks to um, sort out his embarrassment from uh, ruining Respoli's weekend at brands, let's tell you about all the different ways you can find us. Uh, James, in particular, if you're listening, you might want to write these down. Uh, on Facebook, we are facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We are on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. Uh, if you want to watch our weekly Google Hangouts, head to YouTube, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. Our website is motorsport101.net. Uh, and if you like us so much that you want to back us financially, head to Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash motorsport101, where your support earns you many, many cool perks. Not least, early access to both Bike Live and Motorsport
2: 101. Uh, episode 83 went live this week, Dre. It did indeed feature a massive review of the IndyCar Grand Prix of Alabama as RJ O'Connell pretty much took over as his man's Broseph garden, as we now like to call him, uh, took his second Grand Prix of Alabama win in three years, talking about Will Power's bad luck and a whole heap of news. including the F1 strategy group meetings, Sauber potentially going to Honda, and the retirement of Dale Earnhardt Jr. out of NASCAR. So actually a pretty heaped show, despite not actually all that much going on.
1: Um, You forgot to mention something else, my continued dominance (laughs) in the fantasy (laughs) IndyCar. Stop talking about that! <laughs> For God's sake! <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, just but yes, that, that that may or may not have been mentioned. Oh yeah, and there's a lot of hockey on the show. Unfortunately, I, I can only apologise. The hijacking of the show continues. Yeah, um, it, it's spreading so, this week. It's spread to it, bite live it, as well. It, <laughs> uh, that, that, that's kind of my own fault, really, on this one. I don't have to hold my own l on this. But yes, all of that and more in a in a surprisingly condensed yet still largely filling episode eighty three of Motorsport 101. Bruce of 2 Garden now available on SoundCloud where all good podcasts are available.
0: Yes, including iTunes. And while you're over there, give us that five-star rating. Uh, it really would help yes. us a lot. Um, right, let's start with uh, Bite Live then. Episode 9 and um, the King of Cota, as we're going to call it, not least because a king joins us this week. <laughs> and uh, yeah, to borrow one of Dre's favorite, um, favorite sayings, death taxes and Mark Marquez wins in Texas is basically the gist of all of this. Yes. Um, because he's unbeaten there, King. And uh, he kept... That outgoing this weekend, although through a lot of the weekend, it looked as if he was probably going to have it a lot tougher than it perhaps looked, because Vinales was keeping him honest.
1: Yes, Maverick was keeping him very honest. Unfortunately, Maverick's race did not get off to the best of starts.
0: No, Maverick didn't last very long in this one. We'll, we'll come to that very, very shortly. But, but Dre, um, although Maverick has won, and we'll, we'll talk about him in a little bit, um Will it already set off a few warning signs at, at HRC that on their circuit, Mark Marquez's Banker Circuit of the Year, it looked for a lot of Friday and Saturdays if Maverick was actually going to beat them to pole?
2: On Saturday, I was saying this championship is over. If if Maverick <laughs> is this close at Cota, the signature Mark Marquez track, maybe outside of Germany, then I thought, oh, no. the Yamaha clearly has got like, a huge number on Honda here if they're this close. To to Mark Marquez at arguably his best circuit, where he's been undefeated for the last four now five years. Um, I was nervous. I was very nervous going into this one, thinking, wait, if Yamaha's this good now, what does it say about the European calendar coming? Where well, Yamaha traditionally are, are a lot stronger anyway. I mean, we've got Harrah and Catalunya and Magello coming up, and they're Yamaha circuits, so if Yamaha can get them, can get a number on Honda out here or you know at least in the case of Maverick be able to run Marquez very close then uh yeah, it's it's worrying. It's a worrying signal for the rest of the field if Yamaha is this comfortable out here.
0: And I, and I don't know about you, King, but I felt a little bit sort of flat when, when Maverick fell out. I know he was running in sort of fourth at the time anyway, so it wasn't like he was right behind Marquez. But a lot of the weekend looked like it, we were finally going to get the head-to-head we've been praying for all winter between Marquez and Vinales. They've, they've been in different parts of the racetrack throughout the first two rounds. Marquez couldn't quite keep up with the Yamahas in Qatar, and he fell off from the lead in Argentina to let Maverick in. And it looked as if those two were a class above the rest of the field through Friday and Saturday, and we were going to get the head-to-head we've been waiting for, and the Maverick kind of ruined that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was, I was pretty disappointed, because, as you said, he, by the time he was out of the race, he was down and forth, but it really looked like Maverick was going to give a Marquez pressure from behind for at least, you know not if not the entire race, most of the race.
0: Yeah, it did, and Rossi looked like he was keeping in touch too, but occasionally well, occasionally he would say a fast lap, but as the race wore on, he lost pace, something compared to Mark anyway. Um, and, and how how did you read that at the front, Drake? Because Pedroza, of course, made the brilliant start from the second row, went around the outside and took the lead uh, on the uphill climb to turn one. But the longer the race went on, the longer it looked like Mark Marquez was just biding his time out there.
1: It, it,
2: it gave me a, a, a subtle flashback to the 2013 race, the very first MotoGP um, yes. race at Cota, where the Hondas were clearly faster than the Yamahas. Not so much in this case, because Rossi was able to keep up through the first half of the race, maybe not so much in the second. But uh, it, was, it was Pedrosa that got the early lead, and Pedrosa looked comfortable out there. And then, as time goes on, Marquez looked more and more comfortable. Do you think He had the measure of Pedrosa. He was eyeing him up, waiting for the moment to come along. And it came along soon enough. And then, after me you know, Marquez puts the hammer down, sets two fastest laps he had in his back pocket, I think some some low two o fours all of a sudden, and next thing you know, the race was done. <laughs> it, 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 it was crazy. It but, was, uh, it. and yeah, yeah, it wasn't pocket. exactly the same
0: overtake as well because I thought that twenty thirteen when Marcus been announced it was exactly the same corner um turn seven i think the left hander where he just basically pulls the rug from under his teammates feet uh, a place of the circuit where i think mark is the only guy ever to overtake there um in a moto grand prix race and um yeah took full advantage of danny pedroza hitting tire wear issues which we'll come on to a little bit later on because danny had gambled on the medium front um mark marquez always goes for the hard front and obviously had more tire left the longer the race went on um so Marquez, in the end, taking advantage of that and easing clear to win the race. And and King, it, it sounds sort of standard. Mark Marquez wins in Texas. He always wins in Texas. But we can't really overstate how important a win this was. Given where he was at in the championship after two rounds, a long way behind, this was must-win. Yeah, it was a
1: must-win race. And if, <clears throat> if you look at the, at the lap charts, you could tell that he was putting in like, an amount of effort that other, other riders were. Like, he was the only rider to get in the, in the 204s in the entire Grand Prix. He was, and they,
0: I remember seeing that before the race started. The predicted race pace, I think, it was a 204.8 for Marc Marquez, and I think he was the only guy to anywhere, get anywhere near that kind of pace. And, mm-hmm. and it was a huge result for him, wasn't it, Dre? I mean, obviously, the Vinales crash puts an even greater emphasis on the 25 points that Marc Marquez got. But even if Maverick was still in that race, this was a race that Marc Marquez simply had to win.
2: It was a must-win. Um, I know people don't want to, you know, write people off this early on, but this—I think this absolutely was a must-win for Marquez. Even if Vinales didn't didn't crash in the early stages and he may, maybe finished third or fourth, that still would have been a critical result. That's still, you know, minimum nine points gained on Maverick. So absolutely a, a critical win for Marquez, and it's a bonus that Maverick fell down as well because all of a sudden that's put Marquez right back into play again.
0: Hmm. It does. And, it, um, and in terms of Maverick, it's probably the first time this season, I mean, I think MCN have used the basically the, the, the line, he's human. Uh, Maverick's <laughs> human. It's the first time, really, he's
2: looked human since he stepped on that Yamaha back in November. I don't know, man. Those airbags are pretty big. Um, but, uh, no, I'm joking. But in all seriousness, yeah, absolutely. This, it was a very uncharacteristic sort of crash. I've not seen anybody really crash at uh, turn 18 like that before. Coach, and he just. Yeah, they to tend w- to
0: be high sides when riders do go down there because they're sort of on the the right hand side of the tyre for so long.
2: Um, yeah, exactly. He just lost the back. He just slides out from underneath him, and the next thing you know, he, he's down. And everyone's like, oh, God, we've got a title race again. Great. <laughs> um, but uh, but um, yeah, very uncharacteristic mistake from, from Maverick Vinales there. They just seem to lose the back, and down he goes. And yeah, you're right. It's the first. I mean, this, this is. Like, the Maverick story is so it's just been him taking Foss's times in sessions and looking comfortable as you like out there and, you know, having the early, I'd say the early measure of pace over Valentino, which, again, is this is not a new story with Valentino Rossi, but yet Maverick has been has been shocking the world so far and this was probably a different kind of shock mm. um, this, this time around. So, yeah, I guess the narrative continues just not in the way you probably would have liked. Yeah, because I don't know about you, King, but... To play devil's
0: advocate for just a moment, I mean, people may be saying, well, this is the first kind of mental challenge Maverick's been posed with this season, and down he goes, um, because he's had it largely his own way for a lot of 2017 so far. Um, I mean, how much of that do you think was just a simple mistake that you get early in a race? Because, of course, Maverick had made a poor start. He was having to try and make ground up and lost ground, or he lost the front, trying to make that ground up. And Was this just an error, or was Maverick, did Maverick buckle to the pressure just so like slightly, seeing Mark Marquez get away from him?
1: I, I think it was the pressure getting to him, and it's not even just because of his starting position in the race. It's like any time you go to a circuit in the Americas, or specifically the circuit of the Americas, Mark Marquez has this aura around him where it's like the fans swarm him, and it's like he's clearly the center of attention, and you know that he's never been beaten here. So even before he gets onto the grid, Maverick is already, you know, a step behind Mark Marquez.
0: Yeah, it's it's fast becoming the new the new Undertaker streak, isn't it? This everyone's going to want to be the guy. (laughs) Everyone's going to want to be the guy that breaks the Marquez streak in Texas, um, for as long as MotoGP goes there. And um, yeah, Maverick for a lot of that weekend will have felt like he was going to be the guy. Um, I mean, what do you think about that, Dre? I mean, he he has been in such a serene form for a lot of the season, Maverick, and. If you go back to his very early days in, in his career, we had a habit of being a little bit flaky, a little bit weak mentally. Of course, he, he walked out of his Moto3 team um, back in 2012 when he kind of lost his head um, back then. Now, he was only 18 at the time, so we kind of have to give him a bit of a pass on that. He was just a kid. Um, mm. But Maverick's going to be put under more mental strain than at any point in his career so far, isn't he, in 2017, as he goes against the two most popular riders in the world, uh, in Mark Marquez and Valentino Rossi. Um and Ma- Maverick's going to have to deal with that. And this wasn't a great early sign, was
2: it? It wasn't a great early sign. Like I said, it's the first time Maverick's really had to deal with intense pressure in this. Cause like I said, this was not around the Maverick was expected to win. And even more so when it turns out he was surprisingly fast around here. So you, you back all that up into a corner and yeah, Maverick was getting punched about a little bit. He didn't have it all his own way off the start. He had ground to make up. I think he was in fourth place when he crashed. He was, under pressure from Lorenzo in the early going, who made a great start as well. So, yeah, Maverick was getting beaten up a little bit in there. And, you know, when that happens, down he goes, which is strange because Maverick, you know, has been able to, you know, lead races from the front. He has been able to sustain pressure before. We saw it in Qatar with Davizioso, who was desperate for that first Qatar win. He managed to hold him off too. So it's not like he can't do it, It was uh, which makes the mistake all the more uncharacteristic. But as you say... He's not that like the main two title threats are going to be arguably two of the most popular riders we've ever seen in this sport, mm. and one of them is a very strong, proficient in mind game. because yes, Maverick it, hasn't
0: he... really built up that kind of fan base yet, has he?
2: No, he's he's the new boy, yeah. and don't get me wrong, he's got his fans, and you know, yeah. being just being in the Yamaha colours will gain them a lot we're, of. We're all <laughs>
0: among them, aren't we? I think we all we all like Maverick, and he's 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 he's, 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 he's a good kid as yeah. well um if nothing else he, he is a genuinely nice guy from from having met him in the past he's he's a, he's a he's a lovely guy and yeah he yeah. his his mistakes really in his career were i think just basically mistakes from a kid being put under the most intense of pressures back in spain he was the he was the next spanish hope after marquez and, Remember, and, he's been
2: he's been hailed as a one the kid from the time he was seventeen. Yeah, won his that, that won, won his, win his win what, win, sixteen.
0: Yeah. He won his first, he won his fourth ever one two five race at sixteen, having already won what was the uh, Spanish championship, yeah. what is now the Junior World Championship. Um, and, champion. Yeah, and, and Maverick beat um, beat a guy named Miguel Oliveira to win that championship, and he turned out all right, didn't he? So, yeah. So um, so Maverick has been Maverick has been racing at the top of his field ever since he's been um, a little boy, and. Yeah, but this is this is a whole new kind of pressure that he's having to deal with this season. You know, there is no pressure in Grand Prix motorcycle racing like taking on Marquez and Rossi for a world championship. Um, and, and only the best come through that. So we're going to find out a lot about Maverick um, this season. Um, and MotoGP, like no other class, punishes DNFs. Um, just ask the Yamaha riders from last season and nothing exemplifies that more than the championship standings right now because look who leads it. Uh, The guy who hasn't won a race so far, King, but three podiums out of three and almost improbably given how much he's appeared to struggle so far this season, Valentino (laughs) Rossi leads the championship.
1: Like even Rossi himself said that he was shocked that he was in the lead of the championship.
0: Yeah, he's got a six-point lead over Maverick Binales having taken... Uh, A third, uh, a second, and a second in his three races. And, um, I mean, Dre, depending on how you interpret Rossi's season will determine whether you think he was actually struggling or not. I think we've got differing views on that. Um, But I don't think Rossi, even in his heart of hearts, ever thought he'd
2: be leading the championship this early, did he? I don't know. Um, this is Valentino we're talking about. Trying to predict him is a bit like trying to predict the lottery numbers. You, know, you never quite know what's going to come out of his mouth sometimes. And I but... guess
0: what's what's most important here is. The 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 Valentino Rossi it looks like we're dealing with in 2017 because um, Dre wrote a piece for the website um, Motorsport101.net if you want to check it out it's still up there right now Um, and you made a point in that that I made a point I made the exact same point on Twitter after the race on Sunday night it looks like the 2015 Rossi is back is that
2: how you see it I think it very well could be Mr Consistency this is this is the only way he's going to win a title right. Yeah, exactly, because I mentioned it in the column. like Valentino doesn't have the ultimate pace that Maverick, Vignades, Jorge Lorenzo, or Marta Marquez has shown over the last few years. He's not been that sort of guy. He's not the sort of guy that that pushes to, to the limits 100% of the time. He admitted it himself. He's only ever been 100% every lap once. And that was the time in Philippa Island in 2003 when he may or may not have had a 10-second time penalty to recover. So, you know, it was essentially a time trial for Valentino at that point. But he's not that sort of customer. It's it's an interesting sort of paradox when you look at it. But Rossi has always been a Sunday guy. And as you say, in 2015, the year he very nearly won the championship, you know, the magical number 10 in his case, he led the championship through 16 out of 18 rounds. And he had 15 podiums out of 18 races and he didn't finish a single race lower than fifth. No DNFs. He finished every single racing lap and didn't finish a race lower than fifth. And that includes a race where he had to start from the back of the field. Where, whether you want to say that was well, self or not, is ultimately down to you. Mm. But yeah, the consistency of Valentino has definitely shone you know, to the surface in the last two or three years or so. And like 2016 was almost uncharacteristic for Rossi because he did make three or four critical mistakes that probably cost him the championship, like 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 the, like the fall in Assen, you know, like the crash at this very Grand Prix last year. You know, not listening to his team in Germany probably cost him big as well. So, if that doesn't happen and we get the 2015 Rossi, he's going to be extremely hard to beat because he doesn't make mistakes characteristically.
1: He will finish Grand Prix if he doesn't do anything stupid.
2: So, yeah,
1: I mean, just, just to add on to what Lewis said about this championship being very punishing in terms of retirements over the past three seasons, the, the, the rider who would eventually go on to win the championship had a combined, had a combined number of retirements of three. Each, each rider only had one retirement in the season. They won the championship over the past three seasons. <laughs>
0: Yeah, because yeah. yeah, Mark had a, had a couple after winning the title last season. He'd already got it done by then. Um, so, so, yeah, that, that's true. And, yeah, if you look through history, if you win no, – it's not so much about winning a number of races, is it, Dre? If you look back to sort of Sandro Cortese in the first of a Moto3 season where he was on the podium in just about every race, bar one or two, if you can go through an 18-race season and be on the, in, on the podium in 18 or maybe – 15, 16, 17 of them, you're either going to win the championship or go very close to it. Um, Because there are so many big points up for grabs there that if Valentino can just keep this run going, he might not necessarily have to win seven or eight races this season. Three or four might well run in very, very close. Um, And and that does appear to be his best route um, to winning a world championship. And King, do you think Marquez and Vinales... I mean, I, I know Vinales has kind of been guilty of having so much of his focus on Marquez... Um, because I remember listening to pre-season previews of this season and Maverick spent so much of his time looking at timesheets from last season and lap charts of Marquez's consistency and his race pace and that was the bar that Maverick Vinales was looking to try and and jump over. It was was Mark Marquez and he wasn't really looking at Rossi too much. It's almost as if Vinales and Marquez have spent so much of this season sort of talking themselves into a battle against each other that they perhaps overlooked Valentino Rossi and overlook him at your peril. (laughs)
1: It's, I, <laughs> yeah i would say that I, in terms of this championship it feels like it's rossi's to actually lose at this point like if like again if, if rossi can consistently finish on the podium he's already ahead of both of both maverick and marquez unless of course maverick comes in and just wins a whole string of races again mm,
0: yeah it's almost that, it's almost feeling like the tortoise and the hare isn't it it's almost feeling like yeah. maverick and mark are going to be the guys that pull out the standout results and win more often than not. But yeah, if if they keep having if they keep throwing the DNF in there, that could
2: well let Valentino Indre. Absolutely, I was gonna say, that 2015 season, Jorge Lorenzo won seven Grand Prix that season to Valentino Rossi's four, and yet despite that, Lorenzo only led the championship twice, and that was one of them was only on countback at Bruneau. It was only after the final round of the championship that Lorenzo truly had a championship lead. Luckily that was the most important round of all, the mm. last one. But in any case, yeah, absolutely. For me, it's I, I learned the lesson here that with Rossi, it's not about race wins, it's about points. It's about racking up the points. And yeah, from my he, so I know how to I'm, manage
0: a season, doesn't he?
2: Absolutely. You know that, that he doesn't I think another thing he doesn't mention is Because he doesn't crash very often. He doesn't carry injuries into races either. By the time we get into places like Valencia, a lot of the riders are dinged up and nursing nursing pain and nursing injuries. Rossi pretty much has a clean bit of health because he never really crashes very much. So if Rossi can get... He's a numbers guy. and I'm sure he's looking it up. If he can get to something like 330 points, he's got a really great chance of winning the championship because Marquez has only crossed that threshold twice. So like that is the sort of ballpark figure he needs to be aiming for and if he can get, you know, 14, 15 Pauline finishes this season, he'll get to that number. And that's going to make him very, very hard to beat indeed. I mean, Lorenzo only just did it by a handful of points a couple of years ago. So it kind of says it all. If he can be consistent and not give up those big 25-point donuts to, Ma- to Maverick or Mark as the season goes on, Rossi's in with a very real possibility.
0: Yeah, and it's funny <laughs> that, because I know you're a, you're a numbers guy too, Dre. And um, 330 <laughs> points, just from... Um... The beauty of having calculators on smartphones these days. 330 points. That means he's got to average 18 points around, and he's currently averaging 18 points around after three races. 18.6 um, could- <laughs> around. He's on 56 <laughs> after three races. So Ross is kind of on target at the moment. Um, he's averaging. He's averaging the amount of points that would get him to 330 at the end of the season. He's just got to try and keep this going, I suppose, um, as the season yeah, goes on. Like,
1: running the math. Like <clears throat> again, he only needs 18.3 around like, after, you know, Circuit of the Americas, 18.3 around to get to 330. That means he doesn't even, technically he doesn't even have to win.
0: Yeah, just a lot of seconds will all do him. If Maverick keeps winning, then Mark yeah. keeps winning. The seconds will be pretty good for him. So, yeah, it, it, yeah. it is going to be yeah. an interesting story, this. The three-way fight this season. And, yeah, Mark and, and Maverick, you sense, are going to be the two guys that do a lot of the winning. But... Yeah, Valentino can keep splitting them at the very least. He's going to be there, thereabouts. It is going to be fascinating to follow um, this season. Um, Dre alluded to one of the races in Valentino's history, um, the famous Philip Allen race, where he had to overcome a time penalty um, to, to win the race. He had to overcome a time penalty here too. It just wasn't quite as big as 10 seconds. It was, it was <laughs> yeah. 0.3 of a second. Um, the penalty itself can be debated. I mean, King, first of all, what did you think of the incident that caused it?
1: Uh, it was... Do I call it very nip-tuck? Like, it was very... It, it should... The incident shouldn't have happened, but when it did happen, it it felt... I, I don't know. It's like, should have Zarko really been in that position? <laughs>
0: Mm, yeah, because that's that's the thing for me. I have never in the, all the time I've been watching Moto Grand Prix races at COTA, I have never seen anybody overtake there at Turn Three um, in in that that S's section, which is pretty much one line through there. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, Zarco tried to fire it up the inside of uh, Valentino <laughs> Rossi, who who admittedly had made a mistake at turn uh, one, which left the door open. And um, that's how um, that's how Zarko kind of got alongside him. So he got alongside him on the outside of two and then was on the inside for three and thought he could fire it up the inside and it didn't quite work. But he, well, he got up the inside, but of course Valentino had to skate off the road to avoid it. Um <sighs> The only time I've ever seen anyone trying to overtake there, Dre, we were talking about this before the show, was Xavier Simeon in a Moto 2 race a few years ago, and that ended in a colossal pile up.
2: Yeah, that ended in a very similar incident, and Simeon wasn't quite so lucky. He ended up sliding about 50 yards across the paint. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean. I'll say this. It didn't help that the hard camera was was on the side pod camera of Valentino Rossi's view as it happened in See, real time. We were time. looking straight
0: at him. Yes,
2: yeah, so we were looking straight at the side of Zarco's bike, and next thing you know, he's going across the chicane, and he had to cut back to a different camera shot. So that didn't exactly help for lack of context. Um, for me, yeah, I think Zarco that was uncharacteristic. I think, it's a, I think, it's an, I think it was ambitious, is the word I would say, <laughs> but MotoGP is a sport built on the backbone of ambition, and and MotoGP has set many a precedent regarding these sort of moves. They don't like to get involved in these sort of things. They don't like to, you know, punish people for for you know, um, should I say, ambitious passing attempts. <laughs> for the most part, the stewards will let it go, and and, and I think. Zarco's move was ambitious. I don't. I mean, it didn't really harm anybody at the end of the day, so I don't think a penalty was warranted there. No. I think I was, I was ultimately fine with it. Nobody got hurt. Nobody got punished. If anything, Valentino Rossi gained from said accident, which we'll get to in a
1: second. Mm. But well, this yeah, is, this is not... the
0: thing. I do wonder if Valentino had turned in and obviously been punted off the road by Zarco, would Zarco then have got a penalty? Um, my instinct mm. says he mm. might have done. Um, but um, but of course we'll never know on that um, yeah as Dre alluded to Rossi did get a punishment he got 0.3 of a second added on uh, to his race time because that's the kind of, that's the time gap uh, that he pulled out of Zarko and gained on Pedroza who was ahead of him, uh, or Pedroza and Marquez who were ahead of him, um, so he, he had 0.3 added on to his race time I, 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 I really don't get I, well, I, I get why they employed this penalty Dre um, because he gained uh-huh. 0.3 of a second um, but it's going to open up a bit of a cam of worms, this, isn't it? Because any time any guy goes off the racetrack now, every team's going to be on to race direction saying, well, you're going to add 0.3 onto his race time then? Yeah. Um, because it's it's such a sort of minute penalty. Um, and it's the kind of penalty, it's the kind of time that Rossi could have just outbraked himself at the next corner and handed 0.3 back. And then he was saying he wouldn't have got a penalty because he didn't exactly give the time back. He'd have just made a mistake and handed 0.3 back. So... I, I'm, I can see okay. what they're doing. I can see why they've given him this penalty, and the logic stacks up. But Again, I am surprised that Race Direction felt the need to get involved with that.
1: Yeah, like I don't I, think I, anyone I would have. Batted, if
0: anyone, had, if they hadn't given a penalty, I don't think anyone would have batted an eyelid, would they?
1: Yeah, like I see the logic, but that all that penalty does is encourage the riders to race a certain way. It, like what what race control is basically telling like Rossi in that situation is be more defensive. Like don't let Zarco. Take advantage of that open door When That you know that kind of makes the racing A bit more dangerous
2: I get it I get, again my, my two cents on this I defended it At the time I know Matt Roberts was very harsh
1: On this and I said
2: like I know exactly Why he's been given the penalty because he did Legitimately gain time on Mark on Marquez when he did go across the Chicane and yeah maybe he could have Eased off a little bit to try and find race Position one that's probably A bit dangerous I have to say, even though he was off the racing line at the time that it happened, and two, as I mean, I defended this at the time, but in hindsight, in, in giving it a bit more thought, you're right. It does open a can of worms here, and you know, it's it's gonna, it's a thing where this 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 is gonna be very hard to measure. Like yeah. like, so what made that point three and not point five or point six or a flat 5 second penalty or something yeah. like, and, like and, and that and
0: if that's going to be the penalty how is Rossi going to be able to calculate in his mind on the bike how am I going to be able to give point three back
2: no exactly and that's another thing it's like this, this whole rule was to compensate for the drop 1 position rule that yes. came around a couple of years ago and, and unfortunately the problem with that was as we saw with Jonas Volga in Moto2 at, at Masano a couple of years back the next guy's behind him on track was eight or nine seconds back down the road. Yeah, the you longer think.
0: you leave it before giving you a penalty, the worse it gets.
2: Exactly. And drop one position in the context of that race was a like basically a 10-second time penalty, which was ludicrous for for what Volga had actually done. The punishment definitely didn't fit the crime in, in the reality of a race of a race environment. Um so yeah, like I would not have I would not have complained if Rossi I wouldn't look playing too hard, I should say, if Valentino Rossi (laughs) was not given a penalty, because I I still think he did definitely gain an advantage on the two guys in front of him by going over the chicane how he did. However, you've now set a dangerous precedent now where you're going to have to basically give out time penalties for everyone that cuts a particular apex, or you know takes a takes a you know takes a different line for a corner or you know gains an advantage by going around the outside of a curb because we see it a lot in moto 3 mm. like right like mm-hmm. at Masano, where if you go onto the red paint beyond the curb you're you're deemed to be gaining an advantage so in the case of moto 3 for example how would you measure that out like okay you put a wheel on the red tape okay was that point 0.1 point 0.2 point yeah. 0.3 what like you know so, one, how do you measure that? And two, how do you enforce it so that everybody gets punished for it? Because otherwise, you're going to have a very, very busy race direction department on race day. So, for me, like, I get it. I, I Again, as you say, the logic stacks up for it. And, you know, I don't disagree with the call that was made. However, I think in the long run, this is only going to come back to bite them. Mm, because yeah. cause, cause
0: like, I, I think as well of, I mean, Mark Marquez fans will be watching this, <laughs> or watching that incident and listening back to this thinking, well, where was Valentino's time penalty in Assen two years ago? Because <laughs> the incidents okay. are kind of alike. Rossi skates across the, the chicane, gains time well, and wins well, the race. But... Where's the time penalty then? I mean, that's 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 what we that's what it's going to lead to. It's going to lead to teams looking at instances further down the road and saying, "Well, you gave Rossi point three in Cota, so where's your penalty here?" Okay. Yeah,
1: because like the, the the way that they're administering these penalties, they're meant to be more reparative than than punitive. They're not really punishing people. They're more like making this back up. Because, yeah, correcting you know, the time. Yeah, correcting the time when it, like maybe they should be thinking about it another way. Maybe they should be thinking about it being. A punitive time penalty like it's a set time penalty no matter how much of an advantage you gain so first mistake off you get a warning second mistake you get that set time penalty
0: hmm. yeah it, it is tricky they, they are going to have to answer questions on this um later in the season um Valentino, in the end, the, the point three didn't matter um, because he overtook Danny Pedroza a couple of laps from home and then left him for dead, essentially, uh, in the couple, last couple of laps because Danny Pedroza was hitting uh, tyre wear problems, Dre. Uh, the Honda is notoriously hard on the tyres because they have to basically... Career into all the corners late on the brakes and try and make time up for the lack of acceleration that bike gives them, um, and it yep. ruins the front tires. Um, Danny, in the end, punished for a um, a sporting gamble on the medium front didn't quite work out for him, but he uh, he still got a first podium of 2017.
1: It
2: did, and it was it, it was a it was a gutsy performance from Danny Pedrosa, and I feel kind of cliche calling it that because we call that a lot with Pedrosa performances. Mm. So, over the years because we know that Pedrosa just sadly is not on the level of Marquez and fortunately when you're Pedrosa that means you probably do have to gamble a bit more often on things like tyres because there was a lot of tyre variants in the field this Grand Prix there was a lot of guys on hard, medium or soft fronts and a lot of guys gambling on the compound of the rear tyre as well but as you say it was the front tyre that made all the difference and Honda chews its front tyres to bits with the fact that it has to you know, put a lot of edge grip into accelerating out of quarters, which isn't their strong suit right now, so yeah, I mean, Marquez went, Marquez tends to go for the harder tyre when it comes to these sorts of situations, and yeah, Pedrosa had to go softer, and it, it, it proved to be effective in the early going, but Marquez had the measure of him as time went on, and the fact he probably had a bit more in reserve kind of said that all, really, but uh, Pedrosa, you know, he's got to do things like that to get involved with the big three by the looks of it, and he did, in all fairness to him. It's just a shame that the gamble sort of backfired towards the end.
0: Yeah, I did laugh at the uh, the Honda pit crew. It looked like they were trying to write it in Tipex on their pit board, penalty yeah. for Rossi, because <laughs> they, they didn't have a pit board he prepared for it. Um, and you know, what interested me as about that as well is that if I was Yamaha, I wouldn't have even told Rossi he had that penalty, because how is he going to be able to compensate for 0.3 of a second? So I wouldn't have been surprised if that was the first Rossi knew of it, um, that he had a penalty when he saw it on Danny's pit board. But, but that's by the by. Um, Pedraza's taking third. Cal Crutchlow taking fourth in the end, so a Honda 1-3-4, um, and Crutchlow keeping up his strong-ish starts this season because he crashed in Qatar, but he's he's gone third, fourth since then, um, looking as if he's kind of keeping up that pace that he showed in the second half of last season. He ended up getting the better of Joan Zarco in the final stages of that race. Um, uh, Zarco, the aforementioned, of course, who had that, that tangle with Rossi early in the race, but, but King, surely the very fact that he was alongside and battling with Valentino Rossi is impressive enough in itself. Zarco continues to impress the hell out of all of us.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's like, definitely his his move up from Formula 2 seems like, oh, but... it, I mean, sorry, Moto2. <laughs> I'm still it. Getting... <laughs> you you, you <laughs> tell tricky a rookie not Scotia. Yes, <laughs> yes. It, it's, it, it's... I, do do I dare say long deserved that it seems like he was more he was more prepared for MotoGP than pretty much most of us thought he was.
0: because mm. yeah, I think we all were were a little unsure, weren't we, Dre, when when Tech3 made that signing. Not doubting Zarko's class because he's shown it because he, he won one two five races and then won the title twice in Moto Two. But he's always tended to be through the junior classes a slow learner. I mean, he didn't. Yes. He, he didn't become the dominant force. He, he was in Moto Two until his what his second third year in the class, and he didn't win a one two five race for ages. He had those that c- catalogue of near misses where he was trying to beat Nico Tirol most weekends and kept blowing it um, towards the end of a race. Um, so the fact that he's gone on with it so quickly is incredible. I mean, this is a guy in his first three Moto GP races could have won his first and then finished fourth in his second and third races um, or fifth in his third race
2: and set a fastest lap in there too on a satellite bike it's incredibly impressive there's no doubt about it and as you say he was a slow learner he did in that championship season in Moto2 was his fourth year in the class and you know it wasn't it, it wasn't a straightforward deal in year five even with Thomas Luti Sam Lowes and Frankie Morbidelli all breathing down his neck for a good chunk of that season so yeah I think you had I think people had definitely a, a case to be a bit skeptical regarding Zarco going up because year two you know, as a defending Moto2 jam wasn't as convincing as year one when he won it and you know broke the points record and nobody had an answer for him and especially when you see other guys like Tito Rabat who was another slow learner and he struggled in MotoGP since he went up to the top but Zarco is taking to it like a duck to water he's been so impressive and like, clearly, that Tech 3, that, that, that last year's Yamaha was, was a very, very good bike. If, 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 Makes you wonder how neither their... of
0: their factory riders managed to win the title on it.
2: Exactly, and both their satellite riders have been fantastic. I mean, Jonas Volga has been great in his own right. It's just a shame that Zarko has been this good that we've completely glossed over Jonas Volga. Yeah, it's, awesome. it's, if Zarko <laughs> wasn't
0: doing what he was doing, we'd be looking at Volga going, yeah, he's doing all right.
2: Yeah, yeah. exactly. Volga's <laughs> eighth in fun the, fun fun
0: fun. Fun. the points. Exactly. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so Johan yeah, Zarko was five hundred to one to win the championship when the season started. He was down to forty to one after Qatar. That says that says it all, right there.
0: Yeah, fifth from fifth on the grid, uh, as Zarko. Zarco. So it's not like he's yeah you know, he's quick in every condition at the moment. He's quick in qualifying. He's quick in the races. He was what was he second on on Friday as well behind Marquez too, um, quickest Yamaha. So yeah, this guy is he is the real deal, and I think he's he's proven us that to us all now that. Zarco is the truth in MotoGP. He is a genuine front-running contender when the bike allows him. Um, so Marquez the winner then in the end from Rossi and Pedroza. Crutchler for Zarco fifth. But we have to go all the way down to sixth for the first of the Ducatis, Andrea Dovizioso, and a full 14 seconds um, off the win. I mean, King, Dre and I were asking this before we started. Has this team regressed since last year? What do you think?
1: Oh... I want, to, I want to agree with you. Like Part of me wants to be hopeful and say oh maybe it's too early to tell, but no, they certainly don't have the form that they did last year. Because they tend, tend, they, they tend, tend to start, don't start do well, it. don't they? Yeah.
2: I, I don't do hope on this show. Right. I, I, that's, that's not my thing. Yeah, you tend that to get is...
0: with Ducati. If they're going to be strong, it tends to be early, and then they fade away. <laughs> and they haven't even started that well this season. They had their customary near missing Qatar, where Dobby got his second that he's had for the last three years, and I mean, you think about Dakota last season, Iannone was on the podium, um, and that was podium after a grid penalty that he got for taking his teammate out of the race before, and Dovey might well have been on the podium instead of him had Pedrosa not wiped him out, but the first Jacati first Dre, 14 seconds off the win,
2: it's it's bizarre. Um, it's Yeah, it's like Ducati has gone back down the order a little bit, and the other guys on the older bike seem to have taken to the field a little bit quicker. I know Aspar and Avintia weren't quite as strong this time around compared to Argentina and Qatar, but, but like Dovi has always traditionally gone strong, especially... Just, I mean, he led the championship this time last year after three straight second places. So... They're capable. they have been capable in the past. And they like again, as you say, they do tend to start very strong. Qatar is one of their strongest tracks. They were again their coats are on the podium. They would have had would have been on for a double podium last year on the GP sixteen if it weren't for well, you know what happened to Viennone last year. Hmm. But um of says it all. But yeah, as you say, like they they tend to start well but fade when Europe comes along. They're fading earlier this year and Lorenzo is still learning, and Davizioso, who's the who's the backbone of the team, has you know, been un, a combination of unlucky and not quite there. And if that's going on, then, well, it's no surprise the satellites have stolen the early show for Ducati so far this season. Mm. Yeah, and uh, if you look at the hog Lorenzo's comments for the
0: next race, don't fill you with much confidence, because he has said this week that Jerez will be difficult, because it is historically one of the worst tracks for Ducati. Because um, mm-hmm. so, uh, there's nowhere where they can really put the power down there. Um, and stretch its legs, so because Hereth is quite t- t- tight and twisty, so good luck there. Um, but, King, does it surprise you how positive Jorge still seems to be? I mean, Jorge was ninth at the weekend, which doesn't sound great. He was a couple of seconds behind his teammate, but yet again, Jorge Lorenzo left the weekend, which didn't really deliver many points seemingly quite positive i think that's the epitome of putting a brave face
1: on it <laughs> yeah and like it seems like he's seeing something in the bike that we're not yeah. like maybe he sees davi still fourth place in the championships so, like maybe we could you know solidify that standing and be somewhere up higher in the standings but like i don't see what he's seeing
0: no i mean it Valenti of course made the point last year didn't he Dre that you've got to have balls to go to Ducati right now which Hawke responded to by signing for Ducati um, for for this season Um, but um, do you think that's a part of it that I mean Hawke can't exactly come out in the public now and say I've messed up here I've gone to the wrong team he's got to say the right things hasn't he and toe the party line as it were Um, but surely this isn't the Ducati he thought he was signing for this was a team that looked like the trajectory was going upwards after the last couple of seasons and they've plateaued
2: it looked like they were one alien away from potentially challenging for a championship um, given they had two wins last year. Was it? Yeah, it was two. It was, yeah, was Austria and they won in Malaysia as well. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they had two wins last year. and They looked like if they could get a guy that can maybe bring you an extra couple of you know, a couple attempts to that bike, then hey, maybe, maybe if they can win four or five, then who knows? Mm. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I mean, don't get me wrong, Valentino Rossi's not one to talk about going to Ducati and having the balls to do it, because we all know how his move to Ducati went, mm. and that was even worse, quite frankly. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is not the Ducati that I think Jorge was would have, was, was hoping to have joined last year. I mean, again, like, when it makes it more concerning that Jorge Lorenzo is a rider of confidence, if he doesn't have confidence, we've seen his shortcomings as a rider exposed mm. in the past, especially when... the when the rain has come down. But, you know, again, this, this Ducati is not where... This is not even that where they were at last year, let alone talking about wins. I mean, they'll still probably win in Austria when that rolls yeah. around during the summer break because that that's built the Ducati at yeah. this point. It's a nothing burger of a circuit, Even a though... I'm, I'm, I'm,
1: still, I'm still worried about Austria, though, because I think that's where they lost the most ground on last year. They don't have the straight line grip that they had last year. Like I think the winglets were a bigger strength to Ducati than we may have thought, That they just can't, they don't have the acceleration or the top. They don't have the top end acceleration that they had last year. It's clearly obvious. Like at first, like maybe it was just a thing in Argentina, but like at Coda, you really saw that they just didn't have that top end speed anymore. It's a very good
0: point. Hmm. And, yeah, I wonder if uh, Austria will see Ducati break out that hammerhead fairing as well, again, that we saw in <laughs> oh, the in the Qatar stop. test. Um, they no. haven't had that homologated yet, by the way. They, cost ran their, their original fairing for the first few races. So, uh, yeah, we wonder one wonders whether we'll see that for the rest of the season, because we did see um, in, in Argentina and Texas, we saw Suzuki and KTM roll out their own aero fairings, if you like, with no winglets. They're having to get around the ruling that way. Um, Suzuki having another disappointing weekend, I guess it has to be said. I mean, it's kind of, it says where Suzuki are at now that we're calling 8th uh, for Yanone or 7th for Yanone and of course Rins didn't start because he was injured. It says where you, Suzuki are at now, Dre, when we're calling 7th disappointing um, for Yannone, because is actually not a bad result <laughs> um, in the grand scheme of things. Running the Ducatis close, Yannone doing a decent job, but their weekend wasn't even half as disappointing as Aprilia's was. They were even slower than the KTMs for most of the weekend.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, going back to Suzuki for just a minute here, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, when Maverick was there last year, seemingly top six was about the par score for them, so seventh in a vacuum isn't all that bad, especially for a rider that's only just joined the team. Not bad at all, but the problem is is that Suzuki should be a team that should be thinking about third best team overall now, especially given they were arguably better than Ducati was last year over the course of the whole season, but they faded a lot towards the end of last year, even after Maverick got that W at Silverstone. So yeah, with Tech Three seemingly the best of the independents and genuinely having top five level pace, Suzuki isn't quite there yet. And then he only made a mistake in Kato, he, wrote, he drove into Marquez's back tire and it's not and it of course Alex Rin's now getting hurt constantly now when you know he's not had a, a single race outside of the first one where he's been at his maximum. Um when you when you when you when you combine all of that together, it's it's been an awful season for Suzuki in terms of luck and just re- wasted resources and whatnot. And now Rin's is going to be out for a prolonged period of time. So yeah, com- combine all of that. Seventh on the face of it isn't great for Suzuki, but you know they, they they're going to want more than that for sure. As for a prettier, oh boy, that that was ugly. And you know, the the, the sixth place of Alicia Spagaro in Qatar seems already like it was a long time ago. Yeah, it's like they it's turned amazing. up the
0: circuit and thought, "Hey, this one ain't built for us." No. <laughs> yeah, this,
2: this this is not one of their strongest tracks, and which is amazing because Kota isn't all that different from Qatar, really—a big, vast sort of circuit with you know, lengthy straights and you know you, you thought they were a little bit better here but the fact that they were slower than the ktms at one point i mean yeah sure king was must have been very excited yeah. given he's the, rest of the ktm fanboy but
1: i had other things to be disappointed about from ktm that weekend <laughs> <laughs> true true
0: yeah <laughs> stand by for uh, moto three for more on that um but uh but no they ktm had a a, a mixed weekend i suppose i mean Bradley Smith's qualifying lap doesn't get anywhere near enough praise. It always will in uh, in my household for obvious reasons. Um, but for Bradley Smith to qualify 18th um, on that KTM sounds kind of kind of rubbish. 18th on the grid for for Bradley Smith, but he uh, he outqualified Alvaro Bautista on the Ducati. Both of the Aprilias and his teammate Paul Espargaro. In fact, he outqualified his teammate Paul Espargaro by 1.3 seconds um, wow. on on the Saturday. Um, that might tell us more about Poland, does Bradley? But he was he was only a second off actually getting into Q2 uh, on the yep. KTM, which is which is uh, quite a decent actually quite a decent result for KTM given where they're at. I mean. King, we said in pre-season that KTM probably picked the worst possible season to enter MotoGP, uh, given how competitive it is. It's not re- there isn't really any low-hanging fruit for KTM to pick off at the moment. Um, so, what do you think of their their early introduction to MotoGP? Now we're three races in. Uh,
1: I, it's it's where I expected them to be, but it's it's been rough. <laughs> it's it's been a rough experience, especially with you know. Paul's bike going pop during the Grand Prix last weekend, and I would say, like, they're doing better than the orange team in F1. Mm. Yeah, and at
0: least... Yeah, and at least we haven't seen any of them do what Marwan Fellaini's just done, (laughs) um, at the Etihad at the moment. Um, But, um... Uh, yeah, there's been no violent conduct, uh, shall we say, in the uh, in the KTM pit blocks.
2: What in the blue hell? Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's for the second time this week. If you want a timestamp of when we're recording this, there it is. Um, yeah, Baron for a lady sent off at the Etihad um, for Manchester United. Yeah, Dre's got one eye on the derby at the moment. One eye, on, uh, yeah, one eye on Manchester United trying to park the bus now for the last 10 minutes. And one eye on Pipe Live. Um, while Dre tries to uh, gather his composure and um, vent all over uh, all over the keyboard let's run you through the MotoGP result Marquez the winner from Rossi and Pedrosa Crutchlow in 4th Zarco 5th for the second race in a row uh, then came Davizioso Iannone and Petrucci 2nd of the GP 17th ahead of Lorenzo in ninth and Jack Miller top 10 again uh, he was 10th just ahead of Jonas Folger Scott Redding 12th Tito Rabat 13th Hector Barbara 14th and Alvaro Bautista getting the final point despite crashing uh, which kind of tells you where KTM's race pace is at? Bautista beat Bradley Smith despite crashing and remounting um, and beating into the final point. Alicia Spargo who had to pit mid-race was the last classified finisher in 17th. The championship standings then, Valentino Rossi leads it for the first time since Sepang 2015 and you all know what happened there. Uh, that was the last time Rossi led the MotoGP World Championship. He's six clear of Vinales. Um, Mark Marquez is 12 further back so he trails Rossi by 18 points. Um, so the... Uh, uphill climb uh, that Marquez looked to be facing after Argentina suddenly isn't quite so steep Uh, Davizioso in fourth he's eight points behind Marquez and a point ahead of Crutchlow who's fifth and top independent Uh, Pedroza is sixth Zarco's seventh Um, that battle for top independent might actually be rather close this year between Crutchlow and Zarco there's seven points in it at the moment Um, Folger's one point further back having scored in all three races Scott Redding and Jack Miller are also level with Folger on 21 points and that completes your top ten into Moto2 and uh, the class that, well, I guess all three classes have seen double winners in each of the first two races, but Moto2 is now the only class to see three race winners uh, or the same race winner in three races so far, should I say. Got to be honest, Dre, I slept through this one uh, on, on the Sunday, having had a long day at work prior to this, um, managed to soldier on through Moto3 and then nodded off only to wake up with the Moto GP race about to start. Did I miss a thriller?
2: No. Didn't. <laughs> no, i um... Uh, t- sorry to borrow an old phrase of this. Frankie Moore decided early on it was time to go home and um, he never really looked back, unfortunately. Um, it- it's weird that, you know, a- as you said before we went on the air, Moto3 tends to build up towards a dramatic finish and Moto2 does the complete opposite of that. Hmm. I don't know what it's in this class where you just don't get competitive races sometimes. And this was one of those cases where Frankie was, again, in complete control pretty much from the start and didn't really have too much to answer for as it went on. It's a shame because, you know, there's a lot going on back there, but Frankie Morbidelli, it's just a class above everybody else right now. And uh, somewhere, um, I can tell you right now, Ryan King is crying into his Interwitten team pillow because Thomas Luty still can't catch a break.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, on Morbidelli,
0: uh, though, King, I mean, it's it's a well-worn-out phrase in motorsport that, uh, once a guy wins one race he'll win many and this win is the first of many um, Morbidelli getting his first win in Qatar he will be living proof of this won't he that once you win one race there's the possibility you might win a few of them because Morbidelli's been on a tear ever since
1: yep tear 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 what first three time winner in the intermediate class in Kato in like what 2001 mm. I believe
0: yes yeah. first time in 15 years that anyone has won the first three races of an intermediate class season um and it's the championship as a whole dre we've we 've got this in the running order of is it a two horse race now? if that um I mean Luti's just about keeping in touch at the moment he 's had three podiums out of three, but at the moment, never mind keeping up with Morbidelli, no one looks like beating him at the moment, do they.
2: No, they don't. He's making this look so easy. I mean, he's not got the ultimate qualifying pace. That's been a little bit more up for grabs this season. I mean, Alex Marquez has shown he's got great speed, but the race pace isn't quite there. But Morbidelli is just a complete package. He, he's he's, far, he's fast enough to get on the front row to get it done where that's concerned. And once he's in, once he's in the lead, he, he's just got this level of just control, unlike anybody else in Moto2, where he can just dictate the pace of a race. He can go as fast as he needs to go. Qatar nobody had an answer for him at all Argentina he pretty much forced Marquez into making a mistake by going that quickly again I think Frankie had a bit more in the tank in Argentina we didn't get to see because of that um you know because of Alex Marquez falling on on the final lap there and again same here Luti did his absolute damnness to try and reel him in but he just couldn't do it in the end and yeah, again, Frankie, never look, he's not looked like he's, he's, he's going to be beaten at any point during these three races. And that is incredibly impressive. I think we're going to get our very first VR46 yeah, Academy member in MotoGP next year. And there's going to be a, a string of teams done that to get him, I reckon.
0: Yeah, well, there's an interesting sort of political... Um... Thought that I haven't even thought of, but Julian Ryder brought it up the weekend, so we might as well talk about it now because there isn't a lot to talk about in Moto Two no, um, from last know. weekend. Um, but the 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 instinct is to say, well, Morbidelli will go into VR40 into the might be the team in Moto GP next season. Um, but the political issue with that is, of course, that Mark BDS is a HRC team in Moto GP, and are you going to see HRC give a Moto GP seat to a guy run by VR46? When, he's, nope, when his nope, team, when his teammate, nope. Mark VDS has the last name Marquez.
1: Nope, not in a million
0: years. Because um, it's actually, as daft as it sounds, Alex Marquez might have more chance of a Mark VDS mother GPZ next <laughs> season because of who his connections are.
2: Yeah, like, having the surname Marquez is definitely helpful, and especially given the Repsile has given Alex like a, an abundance of opportunities he probably hasn't even deserved. Yeah, really. they're I mean, desperate
0: like- of him to succeed, aren't they?
2: Yeah, it's like they really, really want Alex Marquez to be the guy to replace Danny Pedrosa. And right now, the problem is is that Frankie Morbidelli is probably too good to ignore right now. Like again, he he is riding a literally a perfect season right now, and Alex Marquez is still he still looks like an unfinished product that could probably do at least one more year in the class before we really see the best of him. Even right now, maybe Miguel Oliveira might be a more pleasing prospect this time goes on, given how good he was in. The junior classes as well. So yeah, you're absolutely right. I think I think Marquez has got opportunities there and he's got he's got like a level of leverage that because of his surname, because of his connections, I mean who can forget him riding another ninety three branded Honda mm. at the test the day after he won the Moto Free Championship and ran into the must be having the nightmare, going, Oh my god, there's two Marquez brothers out here. <laughs> um, but um yeah, in any case Like Alex is not quite there. I think it's safe to say he's not quite on that level yet, and it doesn't help when your teammate is beating you that comprehensively at the moment. But uh, yeah, like again, as you say, Frankie's not got the avenues that Alex Marquez could have, and that might be a problem in itself. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, it's it's Alex Mark.
0: As you say, they're desperate for Alex Marquez to be that guy, but even this weekend King still shows that Alex Marquez still has quite a way to go because he was he was on the front row he was looking set to be the guy once again to challenge Franco Morbidelli and then just a couple of mistakes saw him gap from the leading group and that was it yeah like uh, in
1: my heart he'll be Ralph Marquez but <laughs> <laughs> I, I, like I generally thought okay Alex is going to have a decent weekend he's probably going to get his first podium of the year and then it, like it just fell apart Mm. Yeah,
0: he, he. I mean, Argentina was was a shame for him because at least he looked quick enough to to, to perhaps challenge Morbidelli there. But but in in Texas, Dre Marquez never really had the pace to lay a glove on his teammate, did he? And and fell to that fourth spot, which is kind of becoming synonymous with Alex Marquez now, because fourth is about his level at the moment in Moto Two. There always seems to be a few guys just ahead of him.
2: Indeed, you're absolutely right. I think again, like the pace is there, like the ultimate pace is there in qualifying. Marquez is a merchant. He's really got that thing dialed in. In races, it just it's like he hasn't got the stamina to make wow. it work mm-hmm. over a 20 lap Grand Prix. And in Argentina, we found out that yeah, he was on Morbidelli's level in terms of race pace. But again, you could see who had to ride harder to stay at that level, and that answer was clearly number 73. So yeah, I think fourth is about the par score for Marquez now these days. It seems that, he, like, that, like Luti is probably a more consistent guy in that spot right now. And Oliveira's had levels of upside shown before. And, you know, again, Morbidelli, again, it doesn't help me see your own team. It? It's like, I don't want Alex Marquez to be another Mika Callio, but it's it's looking that way right now. And that's a big problem.
1: Yeah, like he he's really going to have to turn it up soon because what this is his third year in the intermediate class and he still only has a single podium to his name.
0: Mm, that was that was Aragon last season. Yeah, Moto2 is a class where you can quite easily just get lost in the shuffle. Um there there are so many there are so many guys who are talented but not quite talented enough uh, if as far as MotoGP is concerned. Thomas Lutie perhaps being the uh, the living proof of that. poster um, boy. Yeah, the poster boy for that. Um, I mean, he's king. He's not had the ba- a bad start, all things considered. Lutie, three podiums out of three, 56 points, which 56 points currently leads the MotoGP Championship. Um, Lutie's adding the exact same three results um, to Valentino. Um but he trails Morbidelli by 19 at the moment. I mean, Luty's just about doing everything he can to keep himself in the conversation um for the world championship and Luty's usually good for three or four race wins a season in Moto2 but he can't let that gap grow too much more.
1: Yeah, like it, it it's looking scary. Like I thought to, this year was going to be Luty's year for the championship, but it, it it's seemingly Looking like more and more that it's just gonna be another run to the vice championship for Luti. Yeah, the vice champion Yeah, because I had Luti as my champion too. I on this
0: season preview show on this show I called Luti as my champion from moto two. So uh, yeah, it's, it's not just you that's kind of hoping that the the form guy turns around for him. Um, another Swiss rider having a good day, though, Drake, Dominic Agata. Um, and um, given that there's a lot of bad news surrounding Kiefer that we're going to get onto later, it's probably just as well that we talk about a good news story for them. Dominic Agata getting fifth, the best we've seen from a suitor so far.
2: I like Dommy. I've always liked Dommy. He's, he's a very talented rider and a very lovely young man. And, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely delighted for him um, because, as you say, he's always been the guy that's ridden best on, on suitors. And suitors have struggled probably since 2013. I want to say really with Paulo Spagaro and Tito Rabat and you know other guys like Scott Redding's coming through. And it, it, it was a great point that David Emmett made earlier um, in the week where he said, "Yeah, wasn't it, the, wasn't it Mark Marquez that he was the last guy to really win a title on a suitor?" Mm-hmm. And we've made, many have argued that he may have um, essentially covered up a lot of Suter's problems as a chassis just because of how talented he was and again they've struggled since and you know with KTM being the new force um, out there I mean Suter's been lost on the shuffle but that was a fantastic result from Dominique so he's always been capable of these sort of results um, when, when the, the wind blows his way and a very strong performance, which, again, kind of puts a certain teammate's departure into some interesting context.
0: <laughs> mm, yeah, it is. More on that in a little bit. Um, Dominic a fifth, just ahead uh, of the first of the KTMs, and Miguel Oliveira. And uh, I guess King his performance in Argentina kind of built our hopes up a bit, um, that they yeah. were going to be
1: competitive everywhere. But we kind of have to remind ourselves still that this is a brand new bike to the class. Yeah, it's a brand new bike for the class. It it still has some teething problems. It it shows that on a good day, it has the pace to, you know, win races. But the that day has not come yet. No, we'll have to see when we get to Europe whether KTM. I mean,
0: Jerez will be interesting because that's a circuit that they have tested on uh, back in the winter. So we might well see and much more on the pace there. Um, So so watch this space for that. Um, When I take you through the Moto2 result, you'll hear that once again, thankfully, there was a lot of variety up the top ten. Five different manufacturers, or five different chassis constructors, in the top nine. Um, Morbidelli, the winner for Calex, ahead of Luti, Nakagami, Marquez, with Eger the first of the suitors in fifth. Oliveira on the KTM sixth. Simone Corsi on the speed-up seventh, ahead of Marcel Schrotter on another suitor. Xavi Vieje on the tech three in ninth. And Luca Marini completing the top ten. The other point scorers were Hafiz Siren, uh, Fabio Quartararo, Xavier Simeon, Ricky Cardus, who replaced Brad Binder on the second of the KTM's. Brad Binder still recovering from his injury, and Jorge Navarro, um, one of the other Moto3 graduates, who beat Peko Bagnaia to the final point. Morbidelli leads the championship by 19 points. He has a perfect 75. Uh, Luti on 56, then comes Oliveira in third on 43, Uh, Nakagami on 32 in fourth, Vieje fifth on 25, when was the last time we had a Tech 3 rider that high in the Moto2 Championship, Uh, he's ahead of Marquez by a point, Baldessari seventh, Marini eighth, so the two forward riders seventh and eighth, Simone Corsi on the speed up ninth, and Agata completes the top ten in the Moto2 Championship, on to Moto3. Um, and it gives me great pleasure to bring back that old phrase forza Fanati because after a year between drinks, <laughs> oh, um, Romano yeah. Fanati is back to winning ways. I mean, he's this shouldn't really come as a surprise to us, I guess, should it? Dre Fanati is usually good for at least one winner season in Moto 3, so this doesn't really tell us anything we didn't know before about
2: Romano pretty much you smug son of a <laughs> um anyway um yeah absolutely i, I, I can't argue with that yeah fanati has always been good for two or three wins a year he's always had that ability to to win races he's he's his race craft has always been excellent and strategically i think he got it absolutely spot on in how he um dictated that race and how he went about it given the the missile that aaron Canett was this weekend. Mm. Um, and how he went about it, but um, again, as you say, he doesn't really say a whole much. I don't think, I mean, I'm, I'm not convinced that Fanati is going to be a title threat as the season goes on, um, but, the fact he's always capable of wins like that will always put him in good stead so hey Forza Fanati and whatnot right
1: yeah it's...
0: why not why not we, we, we've we got to take these victories when we can get them because um, uh, Fanati doesn't get many of them it seems these days um, but when we look at the weekend King I, what struck us all and what stunned us all through free practice and qualifying was just how much quicker than the rest Aaron Can it was um, he was a second. He was a second and change quicker than them in free practice, and then took pole by nearly off a second, as near as makes no difference. And it looked through free practice and the way it was all shaping up that the only way anyone was going to beat Aaron Canet was to beat him up, uh, which kind of sounds like a job for Romano Fanati.
1: Yes, <laughs> it really <laughs> sounded like a a big job. But uh, let's just say he got it done in a big way, which you know led to a red flag.
0: Yeah, well, a red. yeah, that's interesting. So red flag kind of halted Kanit in full flow early on because when that was at this point, Joan Mir was taking the fight to, to, to Kanit um, before the Japanese Kato Toba suffered an accident which brought the red flags out cause he still needed trackside attention. Um, he wasn't that badly hurt as it turned out because Toba took the restart um, about 10 minutes later. So he was obviously just winded as it turned out. Uh, at that point, and um, that red flag will continue to haunt Aaron Cannett, Dre, because, um, as it turns out, in the second part of the race, he didn't enjoy that same break, because, uh, as I mentioned a moment ago, Fanati decided he was going to beat Cannett up and rough him up, and, as it turns out, that plan worked.
2: Um, like As a Manchester United fan, as a guy that, you know, has seen Chelsea punch us in the noses in the first minute of a football match, I'll <laughs> tell you this. Yeah. Punching a guy in the nose is a very effective way of beating somebody up. Um, that was the only way they were going to beat it, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Somebody had to beat him up. Again, as I said, punch him in the nose. Like, <laughs> yeah. Nobody likes being punched in the nose. No matter how big or small you are, that always hurts like hell. And That's <laughs> exactly what Fanati had to do. If there, there is no better guy to rough somebody up and to beat them up and be aggressive and, you know, to to bruff a dude up better than Romano Fanati. He's, he's the king of, of racecraft. He's the king of those sort of punch-up sort of fights you get in Moto3. And Aaron Cannett has not had very many moments of that in top-tier situations in Moto3 in his career today. I mean, we saw a little bit of it at Le Mans last year, but besides that, it's not really happened very much for Canet so far. And that experience came back to bite him.
0: No, I mean, uh, he, he is... I think he's a rider that... Certainly, I'm... I'm not losing faith in Canet. I think he, he's shown enough to, to suggest he is a brilliant rider when he puts it all together. Um, Absolutely. and it's another of those old motorsport cliches where you, you can, you know, you can, you can't make a slow rider fast, but you can teach a fast rider to stop crashing. Um, so once Canet stops crashing, there is a fantastic rider there. I mean, oh, well, it's, yeah. it's, it's this exact reason that he didn't win the junior world championship last season or the season before last was because he crashed too often and injured himself. Um, that was the championship that Bulliger ended up winning, uh, in 2015. Um, and, yeah, he's proven, hasn't he, Dre, that there are still a few rough edges there. Because I think back to his first career pole, Valencia, end the last season, because he stalled it on the grid and never even started from pole. Um, and he blew that one. And when you watch free practice, watched qualifying, before the race started, it was almost impossible to see a scenario where it wouldn't win that one. It was
2: begging to be won was asking for it this was like watching danny kent in full flow in his championship season in moto 3 where he just looks like he's half a second faster than everybody else on track and that was pretty much the aaron Cannett story this weekend this the fact this whole weekend was like the story of aaron Cannett's moto free career to date it was him showing he's got incredible speed when he wants to have it and then when it actually comes down to it, in a, in a not so fortunate situation, he got roughed up, and his lack of experience came back to bite him. And again, it was just a, a, it was just a, a unfortunate mistake that cost him very dearly in a race that he had more than enough pace in his back pocket to win. I mean, when he was on, in qualifying, I think it was nine tenths faster than anybody else in qualifying. That's unheard of. That's biblical. That is ridiculous from Canada. And. I've never seen Moto 3 level dominance like that since Pauly started taking to wet tracks. So, for that to happen for Canet in the dry on a track that's almost purposely designed to bring bikes closer together because of how big it is as a circuit with two enormous straights in it, yeah, very impressive indeed.
0: Yeah, to take you through the sessions through the weekend. In free practice one, Canett was quickest by 1.1 seconds. In free practice two, he was quickest by 0.7 of a second. In free practice three, he wasn't quickest at all because of the cold conditions in the morning. He didn't actually uh, go fastest in that session. But in qualifying, he didn't up by 0.987 of a second. So let's call it a second um, for the sake of argument. And then on Sunday morning in the warm-up, he was fastest again. And his margin... <laughs> It was only 0.2 of a second this time, but again, early morning, cold track. When the conditions resembled race conditions, can it was... As good as makes no difference, a second clear of the field. Um, and yeah, somehow he conspired not to win the race, which will haunt Canet all the way to Jerez um, next week. Yeah, he took, uh, in the end, Finati took the win ahead of the two Grassini Hondas, um, led by Jorge Martindre, who's looking a genuine championship contender now, because he's the only guy in the class to say he's been on podium in all three races so far.
2: Very impressive stuff. From, like that, that Red Bull rookie's uh, speedy showed uh, as, as a teenager is really coming into play now more so than ever. Very, very impressive indeed. Martin is um, again, consistency is so important in Moto3, maybe even more so than in the top two classes, um, where it can be everything. It's even more so in Moto3, because we all saw what happened in Moto3 last year. The only consistent man in the field was Binder, and he had this, the title pretty much wrapped up by the summer break. Um so, and again, Martin will be in there. I mean, every other major contender so far, like, like Joanne Meir and um, John McPhee and Aya Bastinini and Nicola Budiga have had at least one situation or at least one race weekend, and have not performed to, 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 to yeah, their usual high standards. And Martin has, you know, maybe not quite got enough to win just yet, but has got enough to be in leading packs. And that will always get you results. Mm, yeah it is and um, his
0: teammate Fabio Di Gian Antonio who very nearly beat him to second getting his first rostrum of the season um, I mean he's looked quick in, in all the three rounds we've had so far he was one of those many riders in that leading group in Qatar but of course being in a leading group might mean you're bottom end of the top 10, unfortunately, in a race like that, which is where Dijan Antonio was. Unfortunately, he got the drive by treatment from Niccolo Bulliger in Argentina, um, which meant that he didn't finish that race, um, but got his first podium of the season in Texas. Um, two more Italians, though, finally getting their seasons up and running behind him Bastianini and Bulliger, um, who hadn't scored a point to this stage, uh, or Bulliger just had the two points to his name, but they finally got started. Two riders. King who we were expecting to be championship contenders, mastianini who finally got the move to Estrada Galicia that he wanted a year ago. Um, and Bulliger who was my title pick and to many the championship favourite, but hadn't even got a point to this stage. So it's important for those two that they're finally on the board.
1: Yeah, it's ve- it's very important. Like Bulliger was probably my pick to win the Moto three title this year, mainly because of the KTM, but
0: Yes, to that point <laughs> to that point what has happened to them i mean they they matched their best result of the season so far ktm uh, with bulliger getting fifth but it's kind of dammy isn't it that fifth is the best ktm has offered so far they haven't had a single rider on the podium we've had three honda lockouts
1: yeah three honda lockouts it's not looking good the the io team has been basically non-existent mm. when it comes to fighting for the roster of-
0: yeah, it's like Aki Ayo's finally got it wrong this year. Um, he seems <laughs> to be so good at identifying the next talent that he can mould into a champion. He's done it with Cortesi, He did it with Salom. He did it with Binder.
2: Did it with Oliveira. Not quite doing it with Niccolò Antonelli yet, Dre. Not quite. And it's a shame because Antonelli, again, 14th. is another guy. Yeah, 14th is not where they want to be. Antonelli is as a guy that has won many a Grand Prix in the past for not not so good teams either like not the level that you know the io team is which again has made champions out of people not only on occasions, but had contenders as well we've seen it before so yeah I, I i completely agree it's 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 not worked out that that well so far for antonetti which is a shame because like you say extremely talented rider former race winner former title contender he's he's right up there but it's just not quite worked for him so
0: far. Yeah, I mean, they seem close to getting it done, KTM, this season with other teams. I mean, it looks almost like Sky, the Sky team, their leading team now in Moto 3 with Mino who was their their sort of sole challenger in the first two rounds, and then Bulliger here. Um, Guevara was up there as well in a KTM, he was sixth. Um, in Texas he was part of that second group where Fanati of course was way ahead of them and then we had another 7 or 8 guys who were fighting for the rest of the podium spots there were a few KTMs in that group Bulliger, Guevara um, and Philippe Ertel as well who was on a KTM um, but no they haven't had a single rider on the podium yet. it's been a Honda lockout Um so, so yeah, it looks as if the Red Bull KTM IO team have got it wrong this season because Ben Schneider seems to be their faster rider at the moment in this early stage of the season. But I guess what gives us all hope, Dre, that we're going to have a close championship is the fact that the two title favourites, or the two men that finished first and second in the first two rounds, had disappointing races, as it turned out. Mia looked quick. Of course, he was second before the red flag. And then, um, as you like to say, had the executive order carried out on him as the Moto3 collectively decided they didn't want him running away with this championship.
2: No no no, we can't have Mir run away with a set. We 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 had been the last year. We can't have this same shit happen on two separate occasions. Yeah. No, 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 no. We're like like again, it's like, it's they like it's did a United, number on him. It's the United Alliance against Joanne Mir at this point, who has been nothing short of exceptional survivor season. Only a slightly mediocre eighth place on this occasion, not quite there this time around, but uh Again, like, eighth is not really all that bad in the grand scheme of things. I think Mir will still gladly take the start to the season that he has had. Mm-hmm. McFee didn't have a particularly strong day either. And the guys that were in play, uh, outside of Jorge Martin, has not really had, like, particularly consistent season so far. So... In the grand scheme of things, not all that bad an 8th place finish. No,
0: we're still kind of waiting for this championship to take shape. And as I mentioned, two yeah. of the pre-season favourites, Bastianini and Bulliger, have only just gotten on the scoreboard. Um, so so is not in a bad position. But yeah, it was a case of Martin, Gian Antonio, Bastianini Bulliger, Guevara, McPhee, and O'Toole all collectively doing a number on Joan Mia, unfortunately, um, in <laughs> Texas last weekend. Um, McPhee, who qualified badly it has to be said started back in 10th on the grid got himself up to 7th so that was a bit of a save in the end for McPhee um, much to the relief of Keith Hewan and co in the BT Sport booth um, as he gained a point on Joan Mir um, the result in the end Fanati from Martin and Di Gian Antonio uh, Bastianini 4th and Bulliger 5th so that's four Italians um, in the top five uh, Guevara uh, he was the Spaniard in 6th McPhee, the first of the Brits, in seventh. Joan Mia eighth, championship leader. Philippe Ertel, ninth. And Darren Binder, showing that a Binder can still get it done in Moto3. He was 10th, hey. uh, ahead of Gabby Rodrigo, Andrea Mignot, Jules Danilo, Nicolo Antonelli, and Livio Loy on the second of the Leopard bikes, who took a final point. Um, Joan Mia leads the championship, although his lead is now down to six points over Martinez up to second. Um, McPhee dropping to third. Fanati up to fourth. Um, just 13 off the lead now in fourth Mignot in fifth Di Gian Antonio up to sixth Ertl seventh Canet is eighth how much further he could have been had he stayed on the bike uh, Guevara ninth and Livio Loy completes the top ten much more news to come from the Grand Prix paddock and we'll talk about that in a moment because there is news in particular from Moto2 stay with us You're back with us here on Bike Live. As mentioned a moment ago, there is big news to bring you from Moto2 because uh, I didn't think we'll be speaking this early andre in April about the first rider quitting his team. Um, but we've got it, unfortunately. And um, unfortunately for uh, our absent panelist tonight, Rebecca James, it's Danny Kent who's left his team. Um, where do we even begin to describe
2: <laughs> and discuss where this has gone wrong? this is some crazy shit right here. It's the best <laughs> it's way is the, the best way I can describe it. Um, I don't even know what to tell you on this one. Like again, like there is so many angles you could take from this, but I'm going to be real with you here. Kiefer weren't strong last year. They were okay. I mean, Miguel Oliveira was just outside rookie of the year content contention status in moto 2 last year. Danny Kent given, you know, he wasn't really a rookie when he went back up last season, and given that, again, he was the moto 3 champion going up, I expected a lot more out of Danny Kent last season. Um, it really didn't come together there. So maybe some of those thoughts from, 20, from 2016 where he was outclassed by Oliveira, who was a true rookie compared to Kent, who has a lot more experience so at that level than him. Maybe some of the resentment of maybe turning down the MotoGP seats here available to him at the end of the 2015 season where really, he was on this very show and, and openly admitted he had he turned down two moto gp on it um, two moto gp contracts maybe a combination of all of that has factored into this but yeah that it, it's never a good take to have someone essentially uh quit their team three rounds in, into a season but again i think a lot of this goes back to what happened last year where the Kiefer Leopard team was not anywhere near where they probably wanted or needed to be, given they had just expanded from their very successful fleet of uh, Aquamarine Moto3 bikes that uh, were all over the place last year. But, uh, yeah, factoring all that in, it's, it's not been pretty for, for Kent so far, the last year and a half or so, and this kind of says it all, really.
0: No, because setting the scene, here's how it sort of panned out as the weekend went on, because Danny Kent, it seemed like a pretty standard weekend, certainly to those who followed Danny Kent over the last year and a half. It's, it's not been a great show for him, unfortunately, uh, in Moto2. Um, qualified poorly, has to be said, and then pulled out of the race on the Sunday morning, citing a back injury. Um, and the word injury is placed in some um, metaphorical uh, inverted commas there, um, because the story that broke after the race that he'd left the team kind of gave us an idea of just how injured Danny Kent actually was um and yeah, King, for any rider to quit a team at race three of the season kinda of tells you that, as Danny Kent put it, an irreconcilable um difference between rider and team must has to be for them to quit after three races, right?
1: Yeah, fikes. <laughs> <Fight. laughs> like, Even a Fanati lasted real, longer than I, that. Yeah, but, I rarely ever see irreconcilable actually used in like a in a situation where it's truly irrecon- irreconcilable like it race three yeah they're they're not making up and like i think the big question should be who's next like who does keep a racing sign to replace him where, where does danny Kent not go on from this it's so many questions
0: yeah well that's that yeah two two important questions i think <laughs> The, the first answer is a little easier, because Kiefer will surely find someone. I mean, there, there, there are many, many riders around who, who can ride a motor 2 bike. Um, Leon Camia. Yeah, Get Leon, Leon Camia <laughs> on the case. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, Danny Ken, that's the thing. Dan Ken might become the new ambulance chaser, mightn't he? Because um, that's what we've kind of dubbed Leon Camia with. He was always the guy, a couple of years ago, that teams would look to when they had an injury. They'd call up Leon Camia. Um That's that's probably Danny Kent's best route back into Moto2 at the moment. Because Danny Kent, speaking to MCN, um, says that, I know the risks and the repercussions from this decision are big, but I honestly think it's the best thing I can do for me. It was breaking me as a person and a rider, and I honestly think if the right opportunity comes up, I can be fast in Moto2. But given the baggage Danny Kent has, who's going to offer him that opportunity?
2: (laughs) Exactly. I was going to say, who is tearing up a rider's contract mid-season for Danny Kent, who is basically, at least from what I've been told by journalists or what you've been told by journalists, mm. I mean, basically his actions in public, it seems he might be a bit of a prima donna. Mm. And yeah,
0: I was I was told by a a, mem- a very preeminent journalist in the MotoGP paddock last last year at Silverstone when I when I was there in the paddock, um, that from a, a member of the Kiefer team that Danny Kent had issues with maturity, shall we say that um, he wasn't really he might have made the step up in class moto 3 but in terms of maturity he hadn't really stepped up he was still um still a bit of a kid shall we say as a rider and and Danny Kent unfortunately now has a lot of baggage with him uh, just to read you his statement that he made on Twitter due to irreconcilable differences I've decided to part ways with Keeper Racing and the Moto 2 team um, it's been a difficult period since joining the team and I don't feel I'm able to reach my potential so I've decided to step away I'm still hungry and determined and believe I can be competitive in Moto2 I wish Kiefer Racing the best for the future um, and then to reply to another person who um, replied to him saying you were fired then uh, Danny Kent replied simply saying I pulled away I was not fired um, so basically Danny Kent took his ball and went home um, and yeah
2: don't sorry i couldn't help it no and, and, <laughs> and, and, it's
1: like and, and, it, yeah. it's it's like just just on the straight face of it take names away who's gonna be like hey guy get off the bike we're replacing you with the guy who quit his last team for not being competitive enough
0: mm. uh, and danny Ken. i mean i'm, I'm gonna look it up while while we talk about this but I'd love to know what Danny Kent's... I think was it was that result at Qatar last season was his career best in Moto2, Dre. I can't remember having a better finish than that.
2: Think, hang on, I'll go to Wikipedia quickly. Yeah, because he got, he got I, I, sixth I, I believe, in I the first race right. of last
0: season, but I don't think he ever got better than sixth on the Tech 3 Mistral. There's no way
2: he got a better result than that. Um, right now, um correct answer. He was indeed. That is his career high finish in Moto Two. Was the sixth place he got in Qatar. Sadly, only two other times that season did he finish in the top ten. Yeah, seventh in Brno and a ninth on the last round of the season at Valencia. That, so doesn't, overall, that doesn't scream sign me, does it? Finishes.
0: Yeah, that doesn't scream sign me to any twenty Moto Two team. um the other question that I posed to Dre, and um, we we were both struggling for an answer to this um, before the show started, because a lot of Moto Two riders that have left the class have made this move in their career. Um, Dre, let's say you're a World Superbike team and you get an injury to one of your two riders right about now, do you call up Danny Kent?
2: Ugh. Um, that might be know. his. That
0: might be his best route back into a into a proper seat, isn't it?
2: Probably it might be at this point. I mean, we've seen guys like Leon Haslam be willing to do wildcard performances um, in the World Superbike paddock and whatnot. Um, but, but we've yeah, seen think, from guys like Jordi Torres, we've we've yeah. seen that guys can
0: make a move from perhaps Moto Two to World Superbikes isn't the worst career move in the world. If you're not going to go Moto Two, Moto GP, Moto Two World Superbike might be your best bet
2: absolutely again he's like you said we sort of do it sort of Nico to roll to a lesser degree um yeah we we've seen guys hop over there from Moto2 before so there's no reason why Danny Ken can't do the same and he's you know he again I don't know if he's worried about a 1000cc bike instead of the 600s he's been riding now and again if like i said he turned down Moto GP seats to be in this position but that could be the way back in because like i said can you think of a Murdo two team right now that would that would tear open a, another rider's contract to sign Danny Kent, who has not been particularly fast and carries baggage, and got outclassed by a rookie teammate last year, who's now seemingly on a, p- a podium, maybe title level rider in Miguel Oliveira. Like when you add it up, there's not a lot of positives to Danny Kent right now. No,
0: I mean he's 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 a world champion, but as I say, his career has stalled badly. Um, since winning that World Championship. I think it would be really interesting to see him perhaps um, make that switch. I don't know if that's even in the thought process of Danny Kent at the moment, but uh, yeah, World Superbikes could do with a fast brick, couldn't it? Um, so let's see if Danny Kent makes that move uh, in the future. Um, I guess, King, for, for Danny Kent now, this is going to be absolutely no consolation to Danny Kent right about now, because Dre's already mentioned the fact that back when he was dominating Moto3 two years ago, he was offered a MotoGP seat um, at the pramac Ducati team. Um, moral of this story and Danny Kent might well be the, uh, the moral of the story to many people if you get offered a MotoGP seat take it
1: <laughs> yes take it like I, I still remember this old Formula 1 story where, where when he was racing in British Formula 3 Jackie Stewart got offered a seat in Formula 1 and he turned it down because he himself didn't believe he was ready but him being Jackie Stewart was good enough to capitalize in mm. Formula 2 and win the championship so it didn't matter in the end like, why Danny Kent, who knows what Moto2 is like, he's competed there before, not take it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, he, he didn't exactly pull up trees <laughs> yeah. in his Moto2
2: stint in Tech 3, did he? he? He he could have easily been on a GP17 right now as we speak with Pramac alongside, maybe, that might have been an all-British lineup with him and Scott Reddin for all we know by now. And, and that for all could, we that know, could...
0: he might have been really,
2: really good on it, but we'll never know. We never know. And again, is he ever going to make his way to a MotoGP seat now? After all of this, probably not. Because, like, those sort of companies value company guys, and mm. Uh, mm. only in very rare exceptions do teams stomach that sort of attitude for very long. I mean, Valentino Rossi might be the only like exemption well, well, to that rule well, because he Maverick I think not, a good
0: example of that as yeah. well. Because we we mentioned this before we started that Maverick Vinales famously walked out of his team. Um, back in the Moto3 class at the end of 2012, where he was basically unhappy that his Honda-powered FTR bike was nowhere near a match for the KTM, um, that Cortese ended up winning the title on, and he walked out of that team, and basically Honda basically put a black mark next to Vinales' name, saying, well, there goes any chance of us employing that kid As it turns out, Yamaha employed him anyway. Um, And and Maverick got away with that because he's Maverick and he's that good. Um, Unfortunately, Danny Kent isn't. Um, So the only way Danny Kent is going to repair his reputation, I suppose, is by being very, very good. And to be very, very good, he's going to need a team to take a gamble on him. Um, And and that's what it's going to be now. And you've got to think that Danny Kent's best route back into... If it's going to be back into Moto2, it's going to be a lower-end team that has a, a rider vacancy enforced by injury because no as you say no team's going to rip up their contracts and say yeah let's put danny kent on the bike uh right about now um so a lot of questions for danny kent to answer in the future um he's not going to be filling one of these rider vacancies but one's come up at suzuki this week because alex rins is going to be out injured for her uh, in the next round of the championship in spain in a week and a bit from now um because unfortunately he injured himself again Uh, over the course of the uh, Grand Prix of the Americas weekend, uh, Dre. We see many, many riders um, in in MotoGP crash regularly. Um, Cal Crutchlow, Sam Lowe's, Gabby Rodrigo in Moto3 have a history of crashing very regularly. Some riders
2: bounce very well and seem to crash a lot without getting injured. Unfortunately, Alex Rins is not one of those riders. I'm starting to think that Alex Rins is the Samuel L Jackson character out of the M Night Shyamalan film Unbreakable where he just ha- he, he, he just his bones just don't just just don't want to stay together the poor guy. Um yeah, I mean weighing it up he's had two cracked vertebrae. He did his ankle in in Argentina and now this like Rinz's luck has been nothing short of putrid the last eight months or so in his Moto2 career, and now this—it's just—it's been awful for him, where that's concerned. And again, it continues, and it's a shame because he, he did have a good opening race. In, I think he finished ninth in Qatar, and that was a solid result for a for a very first GP race in treacherous conditions. Just to be able to finish would have been a solid result for him. The fact that he finished in the top ten, great result in my opinion, at least. But mm. the fact the fact that he's gone on to get hurt on two separate occasions, um, is just brutal luck. And I, again, I wish him a speedy recovery because the guy's an exciting talent. He's always been a a a, a real one to watch sort of rider. And he's the one rookie entity we don't know much about right now for that very reason of, of injuries and, and, and pain and, and what he's had to deal with in recent times. So, um, yeah, I, I wish Rin's a speedy one because um, it's, a, it's a real shame. I mean, they're, they're saying six to eight weeks for a full recovery and that could be multiple rounds we're talking here.
0: Yeah, because the races come thick and fast now, unfortunately, when we get to Europe, the races follow very, very quickly. Uh, on from each other. Um, yeah, it tells you how bad Rins' luck is, because he, he, suffered the injury when he crashed in FP3, um, and that was, of course, the session where it was freezing cold, and just about everybody crashed, um, in, in those conditions. There were several crashes in that session, and Marquez, I think, crashed twice in that session, Alisha Spargaro crashed, um, many, many riders, Sam Lowe's crashed. There were so many who had accidents, given that conditions were so cold, and the tyres just wouldn't get up to temperature, but only Rins seemed to, um, suffer any sort of lasting injury from it, uh, um, um, he had that surgery in Barcelona today, as we recall this Thursday, April twenty seventh. Um, successful surgery in Barcelona with both the ulna and radius displacement and dislocation fractures in his left forearm um, getting fixed. So, uh, yeah, they aren't small injuries, unfortunately, for Alex Rins. And um, yeah, as Dre mentioned, he's looking at six to eight weeks before he is back to full fitness. Um, so um, it remains to be seen whether we see him again. Probably we're looking at Mugello or Assen sort of time um, to see. Uh, Alex Rins again. Uh, His place, by the way, in the Suzuki team in the meantime will be taken by Takuya Suda, who is the team test rider. Um, Hasn't raced in MotoGP before, so he will be making his MotoGP debut next week. Um, He has previously raced in the All Japan Championship, which is effectively the Japanese Superbike Championship, and he has raced in the Suzuka 8 Hours as well. Um, So Suzuki will... (laughs) They'll have two riders at the well, two riders on their bikes, but essentially, you know anyone will be going it alone because we can. I uh, think we better keep our expectations in check for Suda um, next weekend. Um, yeah. On to um, 2018 news because we're already seeing teams get their houses in order for next season, and Avintia are one of those teams um, because they have signed a new deal with Ducati for 2018, which will see them run two GP17s next season. Um, which is good news for them and. King, it was kind of a good news for Avintia all around. Not only this deal that they've secured for next season, but also um, Loris Baz went uh, a unique way about giving the team plenty of worldwide coverage for their sponsors with the save of the season in qualifying.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. What do you think Baz is going to be? Oh, what do you think Baz is going to go down? No, no, no. He's going to keep on going.
0: Yeah, well, he crashed for about 100 metres and then got back on, didn't he? (laughs) Troy, have you ever seen anything quite like that? I mean, Mark Marquez used to be the king of the uh, of the save, and even he was dumbstruck and
2: impressed by what Lois Pass managed to pull off. Yeah, I mean, Mark Marquez summed it up very well in the post-qualifying press conference where he said, "Yes, I'm very happy I got pole position, but I am sad that I've lost my season award for save of the year." Because um, <laughs> Marquez has been has become the guy for for little little things like that, where he's he's had simply ludicrous saves that never in a million years would you expect to, to recover from. But that that was biblical from Laurie Spass. That was something out of a movie. Um, he's down at turn 20 he is down and he's sliding with the bike gone i'd say for a good hundred meters and then he he's able to flatten it out and then he almost high sides it trying to recover it's incredible and he not yeah re- like i thought i generally thought he was gonna flip over i thought he was gonna <laughs> yeah. flip so basically, he saved himself from two crashes in the space yes. of five seconds. It's incredible. <laughs> it's an unbelievable save from, from Laurie Spaz, and, you know, much props to him, because I, I still don't quite know how he did that.
0: No. <laughs> it seems to be a weekend for for amazing saves, because we had another in Moto3, the um, complicatedly named tie-rider, uh, Adirat Fubapat He had another one. He went full, oh, he went full Nicky Io in the, in the Moto3 race, doing what he did at Assen a couple of years back, where he effectively held on to the side of his bike and was sort of hovering alongside his motorcycle as he tried to get back on board it after he'd high-sided in in the Moto3 race and somehow got back on. Um, So it was that kind of weekend. But but coming back to the Avinti news, Dre, um, positive news for this team and um, positive news for its two riders, whoever they may be, that there are going to be no more two-year-old Ducatis in MotoGP next season, two GP17s for the Avinti team next year.
2: That's that's excellent news for Vincia and they've sort of deserved it in recent times because Hector Barber has has been the punch above your weight rider in MotoGP for the last three or four years now and I'm glad he's finally going to get a chance on something that's really, really good. Um, Well, I don't know how good it's going to be given that the actual guys on 17s have kind of struggled this year outside Mm, outside of maybe Petrucci. But um, in any case, yeah, I mean, you can't complain about getting newer machinery and having two GP17s is a nice upgrade from the current format now. Where they've got one two-year-old bike and one last year's bike to, in an effort to save costs. Avintia have. Worked very, very hard. One of the one of the cool teams, a great little comic book they have off the Every Grand Prix as well. They're one of the real yes. good social <laughs> media teams out there as well. Big fan of what Avintia do. So I'm very happy that they've gotten a big opportunity to take themselves all with two pretty much you know satellite bikes. They're a proper full satellite team now, getting that satellite back in.
0: Mm, yeah, and it looks as if
2: the Aspar team are close to a similar deal
0: as well. I know they're, the story is that they're close to securing a Ducati deal for next season, which means that we're Certainly no takers yet for any kind of satellite bikes from Aprilia, KTM or Suzuki just yet um, for understandable reasons. Um, mm-hmm. So so that will have to wait. Um, more MotoGP news or more to the point lack of news um, surrounding the Circuit of the Americas because MotoGP has been very, very good in recent times of um, extending its contracts for circuits. Um, mm-hmm. We've seen a number of announcements, particularly the Spanish venues, um, have announced five-year extensions for uh, for its circuits and we've seen... Um, Dawn and do likewise, in World Superbikes. Lately, last just last week, they announced a five-year extension to Assen, but none forthcoming yet for the Circuit of the Americas, because this weekend's Grand Prix was the last on the current contracts for the Circuit of the Americas in MotoGP, which means that at the moment, King, there is no MotoGP venue set for an American Grand Prix next year. Is that the last we've seen of Koto in MotoGP? And for now, is it the last we've seen of the United States Grand Prix?
1: Oh, I, I think it seems like it's going to be Coda or nothing, where it's essentially, because I know when MotoGP left Indianapolis, uh, it was basically due to them not being able to pull in big enough crowds, and uh, the president of the Speedway, Doug Bowles, also known as Connor Daly's step, stepdad, uh, he said that he felt that Indianapolis was a four-wheel crowd, not a two-wheel crowd, because they were able to get enough tickets to justify having moto gp there
0: mm. and, and it has to be said that the, the indianapolis circuit wasn't a great bike track either um as it happens i mean gone are the days when we had three united states grand prix i mean it's it's manna from heaven for mark marquez the more races in the united states the better these days for him <laughs> um but unfortunately next year there might not be any um would cota be missed dre uh, if we lost i mean it seems to be one of those circuits that's brilliant for, for cars. I mean, the Formula One drivers seem to all love it. Um, mm. Perhaps the sort of Mickey Mouse section towards the end of the lap aside. Um, they seem to love the place, but it doesn't seem to appeal to motorcycle racers. I mean, it just seems to me to spread the field out because it's so huge and there, mm. there are so many corners. I mean, there are 20 corners um, at Cota, which means that if, you, if you're kind of at sea, at the Circuit of the Americas, you're not a second or two off the pace, you're four or five seconds off the pace. Um, would you miss the Circuit of the Americas if it was off the grid, off the field next season?
2: Uh, I don't know. Um, we, I think we'd
0: all miss the United States Grand Prix, wouldn't we?
2: yeah like, like like absolutely like there, there absolutely has to be a grand prix in the u.s because there is a huge bike audience in the u.s there's no doubt about that and yeah um, i'd like I'd, I'd like to see america have a greater influence in bike racing in general and having a home grand prix for the biggest uh, motorcycle championship out there is can only be a good thing in regards to that and yeah, it's. I, I would definitely miss an American. Inf- I mean, it wasn't that long ago we had three American tracks on the calendar, and now we could have naught in the space of maybe three years that we lost Laguna Seca, which is probably too dangerous for bike racing in any way. Um, Indianapolis, who, as King said, you know, was you know, was, a, was a was a good track, but not a not a crowd bringer by any stretch, and you know, losing Kota... It's not the best bike circuit. I know a lot of bike journalists have not been particularly keen on it over the years. And Neil Hodgson hates it. Hodson hates it. It's anti-clockwise. It's unorthodox. It's not like a lot of the other circuits on the calendar. It's very unique in that regard. It's no Saxon ring. Let's put it that way. Um, I'm not sure is, is the honest answer to that question. I mean, again, like you said, I would, ra- I really would like there to be a MotoGP race in America of some kind i'm just not sure if coat is the right place for it mm. um See? indianapolis is kind of weird because they go around the oval they actually go around the oval the right way around which is funny yeah, unlike the yeah, but, one didn't used to do it, Yeah, yeah but um maybe go to barbara we saw indycar last week that that actually is designed to be a bike circuit so maybe somewhere like there might actually make sense for it but um i don't know if they're big enough to pull off a moto gp event at this point but I'm not sure if I'd miss Kota. I don't think it's as good a bike circuit as I remember it being a couple of years ago. Maybe my video game days are, are lying to me. But um so yeah, an interesting point you
0: made though about about just about the state of motorcycle racing in America at the moment. I mean, King, <laughs> it's 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 seen better days. I think it's fair it's fair to say. Moto America yes. is trying to sort of get itself back in a in a position where it's it's producing young talent again. But it's fair I mean, to say Moto that the, America's not the,
1: available. On most televisions in America. No.
0: And it's fair to say that the production line of young talent from America is pretty empty at the moment. Cameron Bobier, perhaps the, the best of them. Um, but if we're going to have any hope of it producing some future American MotoGP riders or World Superbike riders, a lack of American Grand Prix ain't going to help that.
1: Yeah, it ain't going to help at all. It It just pushes the talent pipeline even more towards just Going to Supercross. Yeah, exactly. Just going to other sports.
0: I mean, it's not like MotoGP is competing with so many other sports (laughs) for American attention, is it, at the moment? It's it's not one of the the big three, certainly, uh, in America. So, yeah, there's a a potential that the talent pool may just dry up. We've got guys like Tony Elias and Claudio Corti who are um, winning races over in America in recent times. So, you know, when those guys are going over there and winning races in America's sort of... um, effectively their Superbike championship doesn't say a lot for the the lack the the,
1: the level of talent out there right now so yeah
0: testing yeah, I think times ahead one
1: thing one thing i want to bring up because me and dre were talking about it earlier this week and just looking at it without the circuit of americas uh dorna have 20 races or like 20 venues who have contracts for next season and two two other venues who are also having races this season don't have a contract for next year. Jerez and uh, the Red Bull ring don't have contracts for next year, and we're already at 20 races. Mm. And we've got circuits like Finland that are soon to come onto the
0: calendar. Thailand, we know, want a race. Um, Indonesia is a place that MotoGP has long since wanted to go to. I mean, it's not like, yes. Dre, it's not like there aren't venues to
2: come in and step in, but we know MotoGP is desperate to keep an American round. They want to keep an American round. The problem is there may not be room for one on the calendar yeah. soon as well. That might be that. Might, I mean, like, Kota might be collateral damage, and as we've seen, like, Daughter, I'm sure would love a Grand Prix in America, but they have no problem cutting the cheese with, with regarding. You know, losing Indianapolis and losing Laguna Seca, which was around that I used to always love on the MotoGP You know, getting on BBC Two at 10 p.m. and not having the support classes there, and you know, getting up on BBC Two and listening to Charlie Cox's strained vocal chords um, as as he, as he talks about an American race. But I, it's it's it. Cota might be It might be collateral damage. And yeah. I don't. And
1: Oh, okay. and, and we already had, uh, Franco Yusini, like on Monday, he, he went to Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez in, in Mexico city to do, you know, a, a safety assessment of the, of the venue there because apparently the promoters want to also host MotoGP. Yeah,
0: and- <laughs> everyone <laughs> wants to board at the moment, don't they? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Just to, just to finish off on the, uh, the point of American talent as well, just from looking through the championship standings from last season in the, uh, the Moto America Superbike Championship. Karim Bobier won the championship. Josh Hayes was the runner-up, and he's ancient. He's 42. Yeah. Um, Tony Elias was third in the points. Then came Roger Hayden, brother of. Um, and Josh Herring was fifth, a distant fifth. He's the guy who bombed badly in that Cater Moto2 team uh, a couple of years ago. And then comes Claudio Corti, um, who, of course, was one of the forward CRT MotoGP riders not so long ago. So... Yeah, that's, that's kind of the level that Motor America's at, and Beaubier seems to be the only one at the moment. Of course, he stepped in for, for Alex Lowe's last year um, in the uh, World Superbike round at, at, at Donington Park when Lowe's was injured. Um, so, he's he seems to have something, but he's probably the only guy that can fly the flag at the moment um, going forward, because Nicky Hayden ain't going to be around forever, unfortunately, um, as much as we kind of wish he would be, as much as we all love the guy. He's, um, he's not got many years to go, so... Yeah, it's um going to be a trying few years ahead for, for American motorcycle racing, certainly uh, on circuits anyway, as as King alluded to. Uh, they may all venture into Supercross instead. Um, BSB news, and um, Davide Giuliano has um, had an injury rarity start to his British superbike career in 2017. He injured himself uh, in the last round at Brands Hatch. Dre, unfortunately, wasn't able to see him uh, in action on the Mondays. He'd already injured himself and pulled out of the race weekend. He won't be uh-huh. at Alton Park either, because um, Alistair Seeley will replace him. Um, Seeley, who has British Superbike experience and has been racing in the British Super Sport class so far this season on the Spirit Moto2 machine. Um, this time, he'll actually be racing in a class where he qualifies for championship points, um, which will be of a relief Eight. to Seeley. Of um, course, that Moto team is kind of a, a, an embryonic project, really, um, that they're running in that class, where it's, it's a Moto2 bike running inside a Sport class, so it doesn't qualify for points, even though it does race against the rest of the field and it's BSB where we'll start, looking ahead to this weekend, Ray, because the British Superbike Championship touches down at Alton Park for its second bank holiday round of the season. Uh, they'll race on Monday, um, which kind of keeps them nicely out of the way of the World Superbikes, uh, which are also in action this weekend, which we'll come on to shortly. Um, but <sighs> Kawasaki heading to this after a perfect start. We haven't had the same rider win all four races, but Kawasaki have had two doubles. Haslam at Donington, Mossy um, last time out at Brands, and the question is, really, for Shaky Burn and Co., can they
2: upset the Kawasaki juggernaut, which so far seems to be running a rough shot through BSB? Might be. I mean, the thing is with Shaky last year is that Ducati didn't really find themselves until the second half of the regular season. I think it was Froxton, really, where Ducati started to find their footing in the championship, where... You know, there was doubts about Paul Bird picking up the Ducati and leaving Kawasaki the first half of last year. And as the second half went along, they really seemed to find themselves. And it was almost like Josh Brooks in that sense the year before where it was a Yamaha. It, it, it wasn't until, I think, again, ironically, when Alton Park was later in the calendar, is that they, they seemed to really get their get their crap together. But it, Kawasaki's been so good out there. And seeing them live out like there on Monday... Like Mossy and Haslam look like they've got another gear in them. They look they look so comfortable out there. Haslam looked Haslam struggled a little bit more out there at Brands Hatch. Um this well, is looked like he just pulled away when he felt like it. Yeah, Mossy made it look so easy out there. Like he, he was in another league compared to everybody else. So down shame that Ellison wasn't able to run in both races because Ellison loves that place. But um I completely agreed. It was um Kawasaki's been very comfortable so far not really been pushed too hard outside of maybe ellison in race one uh, at brands this time around before the crash but uh yeah they're looking very very good right now and you know ducati shaky burns not looked as comfortable as i thought he was going to be when he came back from that concussion um again might be another case of shaky you know starting slow maybe he'll build it up as the season goes on like he's like he's done before that's the benefit of the regular season format but yeah it wouldn't surprise me if Kawasaki in some form wins both races this weekend mm, bit of pressure on shaky actually because
0: given that he missed the first round and miss, uh, he missed the first two races of the season he can't really afford dnfs given that he's effectively had two non-scores before even turning up to brands and then had another there so he's had three non-scores from four races this season as shaky so um, he won't want to have too many more of them, otherwise he might actually start to have a bit of a fight on his hands to get into that top six. Once he gets in, if he does, then he can easily win the championship, Shaky and He's that good. So um, it might be interesting to follow that, to see if Shaky can get himself into, pos- into p- position to get in that top six later on in the year, because um, he mm-hmm. trails by, I think it's 23 points at the moment, behind his teammate Glenn Irwin, who's sixth in the points. Um, that's all on Sunday and Monday, qualifying on Sunday, plus the Supersport Sprint Race, and then... All the rest of the action on Monday, the two BSB races and all the other support classes. Um, this weekend also sees the start of the Speedway GP season. They're in action on Saturday night. Um, the FIM CEV season gets underway as well with the European Junior Cup, the U- European Moto2 Championship, and the Moto3 Junior World Championship, won last year by Lorenzo Dalla Porta. Uh, and of course, that championship has such a rich history of producing future Grand Prix champions. Um, That will be well worth watching. They're in action on Sunday. Uh, But the main event, I guess, for us this weekend is the World Superbikes, which returns um, to one of its most popular venues at Assen in the Netherlands this weekend. And um, yeah, it's kind of ominous, I suppose, this one, King, because um, we saw Jonathan Ray take a win in a second at a Chaz Davies circuit at Aragon a few weeks ago. Assen is very much what we would call a Jonathan Ray circuit.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I... Me being a, a casual viewer, I expect Jonathan Ray to hopefully, you know, get back on his streaking ways. Yeah. Bold,
2: bold prediction, King. Bold <laughs> Way to go, man. The guy that's won the last four Aston Grand Prix you think is going to win. I, for one, am shocked at this news.
1: <laughs> gotta, gotta take the safe pick. Gotta yeah. take the safe pick.
0: <laughs> yeah, gotta hold on to his money. I mean, for, for all of us, um, for all of us neutrals, I suppose, um, Dre, well, I say for all of us neutrals, we're all probably, as neutrals, going to be in the same boat as the many, many fans that are going to be packing into Assen in this weekend because I think we'd all desperately love to see Michael van der Mark make a play for the win.
2: Yes, please, God. Um yeah, I, I would love to see Michael Vandermark up there. I'd love doable? to see Yamaha doable? Yeah. Doable. Definitely doable. I mean he's he's been competitive here on worse bikes than this. I mean we, we saw him last year for Honda. Honda that didn't really have the potential to win a race. All of a sudden, Michael Vandermark comes alive at Assen. It's like the home fans literally give him an extra half second. It's fantastic. So he will be he'll be the, the highlight guy to look out for during Worlds this weekend. And if anybody can upset the Kawasaki, apple cart round Assen, it'll be him. Yeah, absolutely. It's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating to watch that. Um, race
0: one, of course, as always, is on Saturday. Race two on Sunday. Super Bowl. ...early on Saturday morning. Um, So many of the stories, though, through this weekend. Of course, uh, the Dutch fans will have a championship leader to cheer on in the Supersport 300. Scott Drew having won the inaugural race at Aragon a couple of weeks ago. So um, he will head into his home round as the world championship leader um, in Supersport 300... ...as early as it is in that championship. They've only had one round so far. Um, Supersport, though, Dre, is becoming fast one of our favourite classes... Um, this season. Keenan Safwaglu still in the starting gates, still without a point. And for us, the dream will the dreams be still alive for Robbie Rolfo coming into this weekend?
2: Never give up on the ne- dream,
1: yeah. my friend. The, the Leicester
2: City team. of motorcycle racing. <laughs> all believe in Roberto 36 year old Rolfo still leading the champ. Probably won't happen at the end of this weekend, unfortunately, but i god, I would love to see it happen. But uh, Lucas Mahias is looking really, really good right now. And Keenan's only going to get better as the races go on. And Jacobson and Clazel are going to be up there too. I mean, the field field is probably going to catch up with Robbie Rolfo by now, which is a shame because again, he's been great entertainment watching him lead the championship. But, the series has the been Cinderella batshit story. yeah like the bat- the series has been batshit crazy pretty much all year long and yeah it's it's one of those things where it, it, anything can happen and that's the, been the beauty of of our world super sport so far this year and i really look forward to seeing it happen again this weekend
0: yeah yeah the series the series has been batshit crazy so far put them around lesson oh boy um, yeah, oh, no. make sure make sure you watch the uh, the Supersport race, which will be uh, early on Sunday morning, just before World Superbike Race Two um, on Sunday. So um, yeah, you've got a full weekend, a full three days with the bank holiday weekend of motorcycle racing to watch um, over the course of this weekend. Speedway and World Superbikes on Saturday, more World Superbikes on Sunday, and then BSB on Bank Holiday Monday. Um, so we'll look forward to seeing how that all pans out. Um, we'll be back next week for episode ten. Uh, of Bike Live to tell you all about what happened at each of those four events that are on course this weekend, Speedway, CEV, BSB and World Superbikes, and episode 84 of Motorsport 101 this time next week. Um, yeah, Dre, it's, it's been sort of feast or famine for you so far. We've had uh, two Vettel wins and a Vettel defeat to Hamilton. Um, Sochi, how high are you on the levels of narcotic this weekend? Sochi is notoriously Mercedes-friendly.
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm not expecting much here, if I'm honest with you. um This is the Mercedes are undefeated around around Sochi. So led every far. lap ever. <laughs> yeah, led every single lap of, of Sochi as, as an racing entity since 2014 and its inception on the calendar. I'm expecting no different here. I mean, Ferrari seems to have the, the case of a, a better race car in terms of tire wear and being able to be more flexible on strategy. Sochi has no tire wear so mm. you're basically taking ferrari's strongest asset off the table and if it's if it's going to come down to it basically be in a glorified sprint race you can't bet against mercedes you probably still have the fastest car in terms of raw pace so i will happily settle for third um if we if, if we can get if we can split the mercs again and maybe squeeze a second out of it i will happily take it but mm. um i'm not expecting too much here i i mean Booking wise wise. You can get Hamilton at just under even money, and that's a very good value bet if you're a high stakes roller. He's around ten to eleven to win this weekend, and that's I think that's a very good price. Mm, all yeah. things considered. So um so so we shall wait and see. Dre will least be in a
0: semi-good mood come uh Modest 101 next week because because uh, Manchester United managed to get out of the derby with the nil-nil. Um, Yay! I may not be for next week's episode of Bike Light if they don't do the business against Swansea on Sunday. Um, given the, <laughs> give <her> the Swansea <laughs> a whole city's big relegation rivals um, so so we shall see Motorsport 101 returns in all probability next Wednesday um, Bike Live towards the end uh, of next week between now and then as ever the ways you can find us um, Facebook Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101 we're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101 we're on YouTube it's .com forward slash Motorsport 101 over there too um, our website is motorsport101.net and if you want to back us financially Uh, and get these episodes earlier than everybody else, patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 my thanks to Andre Harrison and to Ryan King for his debut uh, here on Bike Live uh, this week, we look to talking to you all again this time next week here on Bike Live, from the three of us until then, it's a very warm goodbye